the basement where nerdiness thrives and grown men rant about toys. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like a re 
it's a reunion film of sorts, a little bit more so than Jay and Silent Bob in a way. Because um, Strikes Back seems more of like, now that we live in the world of MCU, it feels like more like that, where we're just bringing all the characters together. It's this big, uh, large-scale story. This feels more like a high school reunion, where it's like you just came back to your to your hometown, and you're seeing these guys again. Like, Dante and Randall don't go on these big, grandiose adventures. They kind of are just, like, sidelined. They're the main characters, but what's charming about them is they're... In anybody else's movie, they would be the side characters. Yeah, it's very much where <clears throat> um, Strikes Back and Reboot are like the Avengers and the Avengers 2, um, where everyone gets together, and Clerks 2, and obviously Clerks 3, because Reboot did like what uh, Strikes Back did, where it brought pretty much every character from the universe, uh, but... Reboot go ahead, went ahead and gave everybody from said universe a little bit of closure. Uh, whereas Clerks in its own right is sort of bigger than that on a smaller scale. Like, you're going to have a smaller group of characters getting closure as opposed to a ton. Yeah, I see what you mean. I like how you put it, like, bigger on a smaller scale. It's like, the plot itself, like, the stakes of the plot aren't um, as Hollywood or as grand in scale, but the emotion and how it affects the characters. That's why I think I prefer this one kind of over Strikes Back, is that Strikes Back is fun, but this one feels like, you know, more of that Kevin Smith quality that we like, where it's like, it is a comedy, but he has that emotional... There's that intelligent edge to it where um, it's self-aware that he does, like, the dick and fart jokes and stuff like that, but there's real character going on here. You know, I feel like, on the one hand, you know, he, he's self-aware of going back to the well for Clerks 2 after, you know, um, he had done Jersey Girl and tried a bit, of a, a bit of different things, but it never feels like he's cashing out on this one. It does feel like he genuinely had something to say about these characters that have been kind of lingering on his mind for a couple of years. And, um, you know, it always goes back to, like, where he is in his life as well, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, um, it's, uh, where this one, you've got, like you said, it's more, uh, this one's more characters and the there's more emotion there with these characters as the focus as the as opposed to it being a cartoon and uh the thing is is you can't do a james Silent bob movie by themselves and have it be this kind of movie their movie has to be a cartoon which is why i appreciate uh reboot like i do so much because reboot i think did the cartoon thing, but also did the emotional bits with certain characters really well. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a mix of both worlds in a way, where he does try to kind of clerks to it, especially near the end. And I agree with you that some characters it works out, and other characters it leaves a little bit. Um, but no, I totally agree with what you're going with that. Yeah, we'll we'll get more into it when we do talk about reboot because they do they do some they emotional character growth with uh, Jay that 
for 30 years, you know, you never thought that uh, you would actually see, um, but uh, it works. Mm-hmm. So, like we do on all the podcasts, Frank had asked you guys um, about, hell, almost a month ago, uh, what you guys thought about this movie, and I went ahead and I asked again today just to see if anybody uh, who missed out on the first uh, wave uh, added, and we got a few comments then, and we got a few comments from before, so the first comment is uh, our buddy David Anderson, uh, he says, I love Clerks 2, I thought it added more comedy tropes this time uh, around then from Clerks 1, I think Elias is an awesome addition, his explanation on pillow pants and why Transformers are a gift from God are hilarious. He is definitely a Mormon, uh, but not, uh, but not outright told this in the movie. Um, I also love how Kevin Smith always tends to bring in his crew cameos. Overall, such a great and simple film. Um, and then, huh? I totally agree that, number one, I, I, we're definitely going to get into Elias, that how great of an addition he is in the Clerks pantheon, um, but I also agree with him on the crew cameos, that that's always something that I appreciate, too, that... Um, yeah, even down, to like, even down to just yeah. Ben Affleck to be there to look. You know, what was that? Sorry. Even even to have Ben Affleck there just to look, just to have a reaction shot, like that's the, you know, that's the only thing he does in this movie, uh, and he's credited as gawking customer. It does a lot with so little, and that's why I think I like at the end of his comment he said, "Great and simple film." That yeah, it is going back into what I was starting on that. Um, it does scale it back, but it's still not as, um, it still has a bigger budget than the first one, obviously, so it's able to, um, I guess, I don't necessarily want to say improve on the presentation of the first one, but kind of expand on it, you know what I mean? Where we're back to very simple shots, we're back to that kind of point-and-shoot uh, 90s style of filmmaking, but with better cameras and a couple of more um, wild sequences added in there. Yeah. But I do like that it's kind of a return to form. Um, yeah. That's kind of where my mind went with that comment. I completely agree with you, man. Definitely, Thank you for commenting, too. Yeah, definitely, definitely serious on the simple bit. Uh, John Short says, it's good, but not on the same level as his earlier work. Definitely more... 2000 studio comedy DNA in the mix. Um, and, you know, a little bit of that I can see. Um, a little bit. Uh, it's still, next to everything else that was happening at the time, it still feels like a Kevin Smith movie as opposed to when you look at a Kevin Smith movie like uh, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, where that definitely exactly. feels more like a Kevin Smith movie by way of Judd Apatow, but um, this one still feels like a Kevin Smith movie. Uh, Kevin's then, always been like one of those dudes who we mentioned it. We mentioned it in the last podcast that he does like to take 
from whatever style is popular at the time. Like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was very much a comedy of the time, but he always adds in a little bit of his own um, his own stick with it. So I, I'm with you on that one, where it's like I do see what John is saying to an extent, but I don't think it goes as overboard as maybe some. Uh, would say it does. I know a lot of people have their opinions about the dance sequence in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely a 2000s trope. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, so our buddy Dan Chase from the Cut to the Chase podcast says, one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, then we have Mick Howell. He says, I think it added on an already great landscape. The additional characters and subtle throwbacks Make it a perfect sequel, in my opinion. Um, mm. Yes. Um, um, I like what he tapped into with the subtle throwbacks, that it is a sequel, but it's not as... Um, it's not as focused on do- doing the same thing over again, like I said before, but it's also like... Um, gee, like the throwbacks that it does do... Uh, um, are exactly that, very subtle. It's yeah. not like... They're not, not as in your face. In the yeah. They're not as in your face or self-aware like uh, Strikes Back, uh, where it feels like it's parodying uh, the universe. Um, this one has... It's more like... It's more on the li- lines of Mallrats and Chasing Amy with its throwbacks, where... Uh, characters are mentioned, characters pop up, but they don't have their, uh, names mentioned in a way, like little, little nods, or sort of, a lot of bits in this movie that sort of mirror, uh, or rhyme with certain bits from the first Clerks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our buddy, uh, Richard Kelly says, definitely a great sequel to an underrated movie. Elias is hilarious by existing, and Randall has one of the funniest scenes in the movie with Wanda Sykes. Uh, and then, that was weird there. Uh, would you consider Clerks to be underrated? Sorry about that. One more time, you cut out near the end. <laughs> uh, would, would you consider Clerks to be underrated? Um, From what? I could- I I think it's more of a mixed movie than underrated. I think the people who love it, like Dan Chase, it's like one of his favorite movies of all time. And I could definitely see that. And I could also see how some fans of the first movie um, see how it could have missed them. Like, you know, I, I definitely could see both sides of this coin. So underrated wouldn't be the first word I would go to. See, he says, he says uh, this is a perfect sequel to an underrated movie, uh, claiming yeah. or, or saying that Clerks 1 is underrated. I wouldn't say underrated. I would say it's very celebrated, um, whereas I would probably say this one is underrated. And I think, what's it called? I think when something is celebrated to the extent that the universe is I would say Clerks did start off very underrated, like, back when it first came out, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. for a movie like that to go that far is a great accomplishment. Um, so, yeah, it's more of a sequel to an underrated movie rather than an underrated movie itself. Um, and 
Another thing, too, that I think is interesting in going over the reactions of this movie is you have the people who are seeing this as a sequel to Clerks, and then there's more the people seeing it as just another addition and a sequel to the universe. you know what I mean? And I think that is a little bit better of a way of thinking about it, because at this point it isn't just Clerks. It's a whole sprawling uh, world where anything could happen. Uh, and I know that he went less fantastical on this one because it is a clerk story, but you never feel like um, it's betraying the universe that is set up so far. Yeah, it's like I said, these this universe works unlike any other movie universe where you can have fantasy stories, cartoon stories, and very grounded in reality stories, and no one bats an eye. You can compare it to, like, discographies of, like, your favorite bands and stuff like that because, you know, you have different albums for different moods, but they're all within the same artistic lens, you know what I mean? Yeah, especially, like, uh, like a band or artist that doesn't stick with one certain genre between albums. Mm -hmm. So that's a real interesting way to put it. So then we have Lacey Lou, Dan Chase's uh, girlfriend from the Cut to the Chase podcast and Slumber Party Massacre podcast. She says, oh, I think I missed it, but you never go ass to mouth unless you're Dan Chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, did, you didn't miss it, so. Yeah, you didn't miss it. Thank you so much for commenting. It's always nice to hear. Um, and I, you know, I laugh at whatever references get thrown my way from this movie. I think this one may actually be more quotable than the first one in many ways. Because half the time with the first one, whenever I hear someone on the street who's not like one of my friends reference it, it's normally the 37 scene. Yeah. Um, this one, I see gifts of it being shared all the time with like endless lines. There's the one ring to rule them all. Uh, like half of Elias' dialogue is like gameable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the pillow pants and the Lester Fiend and the, uh, I mean, it, the Kelly and the, uh, the what is it, Enormous Stud or Sexy Stud? And I mean, there, yeah, there's there's a lot. Whereas like like me and my buddies, you know, we referenced the 37 bit from the first one, but a lot of times it's uh, it's Berserker and did he just say making fuck? Uh, yeah. You know, Usually it's those two. Other things like that. So then the final comment is our buddy Ryan Zalewski. He says, I know I said this in the last one, but this is the first Kevin Smith movie I ever saw. I caught it on Comedy Central as a teenager uncensored. Easily one of the best view askew movies. Pea Monkey for life, and I'm taking it back. And so that was your comments, and uh, if you want to join in on the fun... Uh, join the, uh, what is our, uh, is it just called The Basement? Yeah, so it's the, I, I probably should have just called it Fresh From The Basement, but I called it, um, The Basement, Fresh From The Facebook Group. So if you look up The Basement and then Fresh From, we're sure to, uh, we're sure to pop up. Yeah, hell yeah. So if you want to join the fun, just join that group. It's a lot of memes, it's a lot of, a uh, little bit of movie discussions and shit, and... Uh, we've we've got added a little more traffic to it here recently than we have uh, in a while since uh, we've uh, gone back to this podcast and uh, yeah. shit just have yeah, fun. Well, yeah. and, well, like that, 
when we when we start the group the meme group like that it, we're basically like opening our door to the basement when you join in like you're free to just join the discourse you can post reviews of anything that you want um it's basically just an open discussion for whatever you want i just like hearing what all you guys are thinking um which is why i like that we started reading off the comments um first because it it, it sets a nice um it sets the stage for good conversation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yes, please come on down and join. Um, I do want to get back to doing more Film Friday reviews on there. I, I'm almost out of my house. I've mentioned that I've been moving um, for these past couple of months, and now we're finally in the the last moments of it. So hopefully, you know, there'll be more and more frequent reviews from me on there because I enjoy doing them. Um, it's really a nice time killer for me personally, and then just to have you guys to bounce off of, you know, it's been fantastic. Yeah, hell yeah. So, I guess we'll start into the uh, the review of the movie. Uh, when when did you see this one uh, first? I, this was one of the first Universe movies um, that I watched because I wasn't really concerned on the universe just yet. I was still kind of figuring that out for myself, that they're all kind of intertwined and connected in some way. So I had seen the first Clerks, and then I had seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and then this one for the first time, I think, within the same day. Like, Clerks I had done first, and then I think a couple of weeks later, I had just picked up the DVD for both and just, like, binge-watched the two of them. Um, and at the time, I did enjoy this one more. And in many ways, I still do, but throughout watching the first one more, um, they kind of hold a similar special place in my heart, because they are companion pieces. You know, they may have been made so many years apart from each other, but at this point in my life, I can't really imagine one without the other, because they kind of, at least at this point in the universe, they were like the bookends, yeah, aside yeah. from um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back being the ending one. Like, it kind of felt fitting. That's like, we start on Clerks, we end on Clerks. Yeah, and then now we're kind of doing that again. We get our we get our Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and then we will technically be ending on Clerks 3. So, that's cool. Make, make Clerks a trilogy. Uh, book it like that, man. 30 years of uh, stories. Especially since a lot of these projects that he's working on... Um, tend to be, like, on a start-stop basis. Like, we really don't, in my opinion, we really don't need a sequel to Mallrats, whether it's a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Um, definitely, you can bring those characters back. I'm always willing to see that. But um, at this point, you know, it seems like Reboot was already starting to get in on that tone of, like, hey, like, the book is, like, officially closing. We had, like, two epilogues. And now, like, here's the actual closing chapter. So if they close it on Clerks 3, you know, it could be very, it could be very fitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind, you know, I, w I would have liked to see uh, what he would have done with that Mallrat sequel. Uh, I hated, I didn't like the idea of it turning into a TV show as much as it being a movie, but... <laughs> Uh, I was disappointed that it, it didn't work out because he had everyone coming back. Everyone was cool to come back. Because uh, I would like to see a little more of Brody than just cameos, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, at the same time, 
at the same time, I got I would have to deal with T TS for another two hours, and I don't know how much I would that's like that. The thing. <laughs> it would be it would be very nice to see these things. That's the thing. I'm not like poo pooing on it. Like I would always watch it, but in yeah. terms of like what feels fitting, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, once we get into reboot and I start sharing my opinions on that, which are very mixed. Um, you know, I, it still feels like that was the right movie to make at the time. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. his post-heart attack movie. In many ways, it has a lot to do with that. So, um, like I said, it feels like it's kind of like the beginning of, like, here we go. We're, we're, um, we're finally pulling this train over. Mm -hmm. But uh, the movie starts um, in classic black and white, which I enjoyed. Um until, what's it called, and it starts off normal. We have basically a lot of the similar shots from the first movie of him driving to work. Um, I like, though, that the color comes in um, the moment he opens up the shutters. Yeah, it's all black and white, and he opens the shutters, and the fire is colored, and... Uh, yeah, it's like a weird, like, almost city effect. Say what? As a, it's like a weird, almost Sin City effect where, like, everything's black and white, but then you have, yeah, the color. And to me, the fire effect always looked, like, pretty silly, but it adds to the comedy of the situation. It's such a funny reveal that, um... Because I, I don't think it was a real... It looks like imposed flames within the building. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, you know, what I like is the fact that you drive up and everything's normal until he opens the shutters, and it's a full-on motherfucking blaze, and, but you don't see any smoke coming out of any of that building. No. <laughs> There's, like, no indication that this fire has been raging for at least an hour or so, you know, um, but I, I think that does add to the comedy as well, uh, and he calls in the fire crew, and boom, all color comes in, and man, the place is demolished, and I like when Randall shows up, like nothing, he, Randall just doesn't notice any of it, and just walks right in, like he's going to work, and the, uh, the fireman is <laughs> still walking out. He's just chewing on his gum and, like, that's the thing. Nothing ever phases Randall, and that's something that um, I would love to go into with this podcast is basically Randall's whole story arc of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's funny to think that, like, because the first movie is definitely a Dante movie. He is our central character. He is um, the one that, and in many ways, we are still following him here, but I feel like the underlying... Um, the real main character of the story is Randall finally growing up yeah. out of this childish malarkey, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's very fascinating that in the behind the scenes of this movie, uh, Jeff Anderson was really like the hardest one to get. Yeah. You know, it really, um, he really is usually the hardest one to wrangle in when they do these Clerks things, which I find really funny, because these are like the movies that he's most well known for, but he always has to give, um, not that it's bad, but he always has to give Kevin a little bit of a hard time before finally being like, alright, I'll be in it. Um, and I'm glad that it finally did work out. That was a whole big chapter of um, their behind-the-scenes documentary, is just getting Jeff to come back as Randall, and um, no, seriously, it's like this movie wouldn't be able to work without it, because by the time you get to that jail scene near the end, it's like it all comes together. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, so that's, a, that's kind of like the discussion I want to get started now again, because from frame one of Randall, like, you can kind of tell that from 1994 to now, nothing has changed. Yeah, he is um, the same motherfucker with no aspirations. What I like about Dante and that shot of, like, how the color starts coming in is, like, this is the reality dawning on Dante that this really has been, like, geez, like, the past 30 years of his life or, like, 25, 30 years. Um, you know, what's next? Where does he go from here? Um, so I do, I do right, up, right up out of the way, out of the bat, um, it's demonstrating what I was talking about before with we have a similar style of shooting, but with just that little bit of improvement to show that we're going into this yeah. this new chapter of characters' lives. Because it doesn't look it doesn't look as you uh, you know as another thing it doesn't look as clean and squeaky as Mallrats. It doesn't look as clean as uh, um, Strikes Back. There's it, it looks more like an indie film with um, with studio paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like it when Randall's sitting there and he says, Fuck, now where am I going to bring chicks to fuck when my mom is home? <laughs> like, that's his big concern. And again, it really does, like, it establishes right off the bat that, like, this is these characters' biggest concerns, that they haven't left... They haven't left college, basically. Um, and yeah. I like how the Talking Heads music kicks in from there. Yeah, what a great um, Talking Heads song. And just driving through New Jersey, checking out Pizza Hut. They put the Pizza Hut in frame as they mentioned the Pizza Hut in the song. Yup. And I think this was, like, my first real exposure to Talking Heads. Like, of course I had heard their music on the radio, but it was always something that... You hear it, and you don't really, like, pay much mind to it, but this song, I, Nothing But Flowers, I really enjoyed, and from there, like, it kind of sparked my whole fascination from it. Oh, they did this song, they did that song, and, you know, ever since, they've become one of my favorite bands, but... Um, it's sad. I am yeah, not this very familiar with Talking Eggs. I don't know, uh, I don't really know shit. I, don't, I actually don't have a single Talking Heads album. It'd be definitely good to collect and maybe make for a um, for a nice podcast one of these days because um, aside from my Oingo Boingo obsession that's burgeoned into this fucking meme page, um, Talking Heads is another band uh, that I've become really fascinated with over the past couple of years. And then being able to see David Byrne live really um, uh, took it to the next level for me personally. You know what I mean? So I, I could... There's certain bands where it's like I could talk about them for hours. Um, but aside from that, I do like, you said, the editing where this was a Pizza Hut and we see it. Um, the whole sequence is just really good because it's, again, very simple, but it says a lot about what our characters are going through at the time. And again, they really did pick that right song because the lyrics also reinforce it. Yeah, and I like that the, the song is about these things not being there anymore and how he misses them. Uh, but there's flowers, it's basically, it's weird because others like, you know, there's the, the, there, it's, it's very much, uh, an anti-version of that, um, what, what's that song, they, they mowed down, uh, a forest and put in a parking lot or something like that, yeah. um, 
And what the fuck is that damn song? I know Counting Crows does a version. The Pay Paradise song? Pay Paradise, yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit. Bill Paradise put up a fucking lot. That's what it is. And see, it's almost like that, but the reverse side of that, where, like, he's talking about how there's nothing but flowers now, and this used to be a Pizza Hut, this thing used to be there. And, you know, I like that while it's showing you that that stuff is still there. But in a way, I can see how uh, this song works, that in a way Dante misses it, because when he was younger, even as just being a clerk, it's like, he never really had to deal with what that was like behind the counter. You know what I mean? The bullshit of working in the food industry, you know what I mean? So it could yeah. also be seen as like missing the customer half of it. You know what I mean? Because I've worked in food, in, uh, I, like I've worked at a fast food place before. It, it does really... Um, <laughs> shift your perspective when you walk back in there, you know what I mean? Like, right. I walked back in where I worked, and I still enjoy the food, you know what I mean? But it just, it leaves a whole other, um, a whole other vibe. Oh, yeah. You know all too well now the stresses of what happened uh, behind there. Yeah, so he picks up Randall, and Randall just hops up on the hood, walks across his hood, like a fucking asshole. Yeah, he, he really, again, it keeps conveying how much he hasn't grown up and how much, um, with this new relationship that Dante has been established to be in, how much he's finally trying to basically play makeup with his life, and that although his options aren't the best, he feels like, you know, this would be a greater opportunity than just being stuck in New Jersey forever, um, and they kind of have that conversation in the car on the way to, um, on the way to work, and what I like about it is it is shot almost identically to the car scenes in the first Clerks. Yeah. Uh, I also get a lot of flashbacks to uh, the flying car sketch, which I also like. And so when they get to, when they get to movies, I like all the shots that mirror the opening of uh, Quick Stop. When he's opening Quick Stop in the first clerks and how he's opening, you get the coffee in the filter, he's just showing you shit that he's doing to get the damn morning started. He chops that fake-ass egg, throws it on the damn pan. Another thing I like about, Number one, using movies is great because now it's been established for a bunch of different movies now that, like, it is, it's a way of, again, keeping it in-universe, but still keeping it on that smaller scale. Um, another thing that stood out to me is um, once they get to movies, they have that, uh, that new and improved Jay and Silent Bob um, time card pops up. Yeah, the little time card. The original Clerks was full of those different... Um, chapter cards basically yeah. as transitions into different scenes yeah and something that seems very odd to me it's definitely more of a nitpick um we only get the one we get the new and improved jay and silent bob and then it doesn't really cut to any other um chapter titles yeah so as, far as, as far as i'm concerned this whole movie is the new and improved jay and silent bob <laughs> Weirdly enough, like, yeah, that is the only uh, title card we get. And I want to say 
There are parts at the beginning of scenes where I expect a little title card should have been there, uh, especially when when Elias shows up. There should have been a title card there when the whistling starts, uh, and I'm wondering if he had planned it and shot these scenes and edited them to have certain little title cards, and maybe they told him to take them out, or maybe he took them out, but he left the Jay and Silent Bob one in just because maybe he felt that it had to be in there. Yeah, because he was editing this like while they were filming. Kevin Smith, um, Kevin Smith tends to edit his own work, and I remember in the behind-the-scenes documentary because they all basically hung out at this hotel that was like right across from where they were filming. Um, so it could have very much been a thing that maybe he had it edited, and the studio could have been like, mm, "It's a little, it's a little corny," but for some reason they let that one go, or. Um, you know, maybe he just editing late into the night. You tend to forget some stuff. Maybe it was something that just <laughs> he forgot to put a couple in and said, "Ah, oh, fuck it." <laughs> uh, it says my fucking uh, just to cut off for a second. It says my Zoom call is going to cut off in less than a minute. Um, so we might want to cut for a second. Damn. I guess they have like a time limit going. Um, let's take a break for a second just to figure this stuff out. We're back. Um, we had some technical bullshit with Zoom. Uh, I guess Zoom only allows you to record for about an hour, or talk for about an hour. Uh, it said, yeah, like about 40 minutes for, um, I don't have like a full account, but I didn't think they were still doing that where there was a time limit. Like, originally I thought it was just a time limit to record and nothing else, and we're recording through something recording through your camera anyway, so that wouldn't have been a problem, but the audio was also coming in weird, too, so it's like we could never catch a break in the basement uh, when we're so far down below. Yeah, I mean, it's almost time to upgrade a lot of this shit sometime soon, too. But anyway, what the hell were we talking about? So sorry if... They were driving to work, and we were talking about uh, the Talking Heads song, um... And then by the time they got to movies, where we discussed the... Um, okay, we were talking about the title card. Yeah, so Jay and Silent Bob show up, and apparently um, uh, Jay's story... So we get... Uh, is it Ethan Supley? Is that his name? Yeah. Um, and I want to say... Hell, by the way, since Morats. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I want, you know, he's credited as um, Weed Buyer or something like that, but I wonder, could it be him playing that same character from Mallrats, uh, Sailboat Kid? I always just assumed, I always, like, it's nice to just figure that it's him, because it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have any bearing, you know what I mean? But yeah. let us be reminded that Ethan Suplee's character of Mallrats is technically supposed to be, um, Scott Mosier's character from Clerks anyway, so the whole thing is kind of, this is one of the few weird um, holes in the universe, is um, the ever-changing Willem Black. Yeah. Because he was the snowball guy in Clerks, and then, what's it called, it's the same name for Ethan's character in Mallrats, um, so it, it could easily still be the same guy, you know, it really doesn't matter. I just love the hell out of the scene, because they're still selling weed, even after um, they're completely sober um, and they've completely um, 
turned over a new leaf and became like born again Christians, which actually makes a lot of sense after the events of Dogma. Yeah. Now that they've seen this shit is for real. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like you have no reason to doubt, so might as well. Um, and it says they were caught with a deplored airbag. Now, supposedly, that is um, Jason Mew's true story of when he went off the wagon so far. Um, supposedly. Yeah, I remember um, Kevin mentioning that at one of his shows or like one of his podcasts that um, that's a true Jay Mew story. Um, so it is kind of funny that they were able to incorporate into Clerks too, where enough time had passed from Jay Muse's more darker period, where like they could turn it into something um, comedic. Yeah. Um, and I like how the kid who Ethan Suplee is with is like, you know, he looks like 15 or something like that. It's like I I don't know who these two characters are or what their story is, but. He's, like, bearded and getting to, like, Jack Ethan Suplee. Like, he's kind of in that transitional period where he's not as huge as he used to be, but he's getting those muscles. And then there's just this kid. Yeah. Um, so, hmm. So, yeah, like... I kind of want to know what's going on there. Yeah, I like it when it shows them, and they're jamming King Diamond. And, uh... Yes. They're just fucking jamming yeah, out... Okay, this, I think... This was like a big introduction, um, not only to Talking Heads for me, but also my love for King Diamond, because that Welcome Home song um, was stuck in my head for weeks after seeing this movie. Um, so, of course, I immediately went and did my research. Um, yeah. That was a great addition. It still keeps that, that berserker tone to the movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, fucking King Diamond kicks ass. Love the dude's voice. Um... But yeah, I like it when the dude says, let me get a nickel bag, and we get 15 bucks, little man, put that shit in my hand. And then he throws in a nong, 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 um, That shit. I do kind of prefer that one. Um, but I wonder, because he originally uh, goes right into Jungle Love, perhaps it's because um, this time around they didn't have the rights to the song, so he kind of had to just go back into another Jay News bit. Yeah. And the dude's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, he's like, man, he likes to sing. Come on. And he's like, starts talking about... Hey, the holy fucking Bible, son. He's like, what is that, a fucking Bible? Hey, it's the holy fucking Bible. Um, I remember uh, when this had first came out uh, and I had seen it, uh, a dude that I knew when I worked over at Cessna back in the day who was a big fan of this shit, uh, I'm not going to say his name, because uh, he uh not a very good person, but uh, he was actually pissed that uh, Jay uh, was now um, into Christianity. And I remember being like, well, just because he he's into the Bible, man, doesn't mean that he's any different than what he was before. I mean, clearly he's still cussing. He's still sl uh, slinging dope. He, uh, you know, he bring and it adds it adds to the comedy for me because he can say more stupid shit. Like, did you know Jesus was a Jew? Um, yeah. There's some weird exactly. shit in this it book. It feeds more. Yeah, it feeds more into his naivety. Um, 
And it shows that, like, he is still, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, a good guy. But, again, like, he really just doesn't um, – he's just very unaware. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it really isn't a change to Jay's character at all. Yeah. I agree with you that it, it adds to the comedy that there is no change. But he believes himself to be, you know, whole, like, basically, like they said, new and improved. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, he's not really – doing this for the right reasons. It's more like he's doing it because he thinks it'll help him, because he thinks that, because other people have done this, that he can, it's almost like a Cartman kind of thing, where he thinks this is what people would do to uh, stay off drugs, because, yeah, I got off drugs, da-da-da, became a Christian, no, 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 and actually changed my life, but he thinks that, you know, you can just claim Bible and it all goes away. Yeah, it just cleans off everything. Um, so what happens after this? Because um, I know that there's a conversation going on in the movies, because I know they have one of those um, window gags where Jay and Simon Bob are, like, pressing their ass against it or something. Yeah, um, so... Or their faces. They first they first walk in, and, God, what are they talking about? Um... I think they're really just talking. The... Yeah, you were saying. Um, I think they're really just talking about uh, God. I really don't know the first. I can't. Re- I we just turned this movie off like an hour ago. Um, I think it's con- it's more continuing what they were talking about the drive there about their position in life and how again. Dante is still Dante. He's sick of where he is in life. And, um, oh, dude, Randall actually says something pretty creepy in this moment, um, where he alludes to, like, taking, like, schoolgirls there to fuck on the counter or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, uh, because they're talking about, um, they're talking about Becky. And he's like, you know, I don't want to marry a teenager. And he's like, well, we have these barely legal girls. No, 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 no. Because he's sort of talking about the age difference. mouth conversation, but it's something that stood out to me a lot more this time around watching it, that how much the times have changed where he's like, I wouldn't say bragging, but he's very open about what he does. You know what I mean? Yeah. It leads into the uh, the classic ask the mouth discussion, so that's, I think, another reason why it stood out to me this time around, because a lot of people quote the ask the mouth scene. I think it's one of, um, I guess you could compare it to, like, the 37 Dicks moment. You know what I mean? It's raunchy... Uh, disgusting sex talk, but done in a very colorful, um, witty way where the characters are, like, bouncing off of each other and stuff like that. But the whole time, I was just like, wait, could we, like, could we, like rewind for a second? Because that's exactly how I put it. Like, we have a bunch of these barely legal teens uh, who are just, like, itching for Because he has a car, basically, I think is what he says. Yeah. <clears throat> so... 
Because doesn't he mention that like his car was like shut down or something like that, or something happened to his car, and that's why he had to go in with Dante that day? Yeah, because he's like, why don't you ever drive? He even mentions that when they go uh, on the little go kart ride. Um, but uh, so Elias shows up. I don't know why all this is starting to escape me, but uh, it's funny, right? Yeah, if you watch it and then it immediately like kind of rearranges. Um, I love the music that they play when Elias shows up. You immediately see like number one, he's a guy in his own world, kind of like the two clerks, but to a completely like other kind of craziness where he's. They're like, they're like grown teenagers, the clerks, right? But like Elias is a little kid, straight up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Elias is barely, barely ready for the prom. Uh, he's like that young. Like his character's got his, no, he says he's 19, doesn't he? What was that? He says that he's 19, doesn't he? Yeah, he's 19, but he acts like he's basically like 10, 12 at best, because um, he's obsessed with the Transformers. Um, it also is just because like it, it's clearly like his sheltered life and his upbringing and stuff like that. Um, I like what was said in the comments that's like, yeah, he does have a bit of that Mormon vibe to him. Um, very weird anti-social character, but again, there is, um, much like Jay, there's that naivety to it, though, where the stuff he says, like, it comes out of his mouth so casually, and he's so unaware of what the craziness is. Yeah, Again, um, back to Philippines, where that's just, that, that is normal, that, that pussy trolls exist. Yeah, like, I like that they don't really mention what religion... Uh, his parents are in, because it could be hardcore Pentecostal, it could be hardcore Mormon. Uh, it really doesn't matter, because there are a lot of people like him in real life, and I've met and known uh, many before. I've worked with a few uh, in my life, and it is weird, man, uh, when, when you hear some of these people talk. Uh, with the kind of stuff that they were, they were taught. But uh, what I think is funny because is it's not, their, it, it, it's not really their fault either. Again, it's just like how it is, and it, it's it's fascinating. Like, and again, I like how Kevin Smith taps into that with his writing. That it's like we've all been in these kind of conversations before, where again, it's like there's nothing really wrong, but it's like just that fundamental difference between the two of you. You know what I mean? And I like how, especially when they do get into the um, the pillow paint discussion, like they even go as far as to like buy out the music from The Shining to put in the background, just to emphasize like the distance between everyone else and Elias. Yeah. <clears throat> so it when he shows up, it shows you that he is just a very happy person with a very happy family. Uh, and Randall clearly doesn't like him. Uh, but what I, what I like about him is the fact that, yeah, you see how weird his upbringing is, but they make him, 
a very likable character. Uh, he's he has a lot of funny shit to say, and uh, he there's a charmingness to Elijah that I think really works with these characters. Uh, and like in the comments section, uh, we mentioned uh, he's a he's a great addition to the cast, and I actually can't wait to see him return in uh, Clerks Three because the way they do this. When with the original Clerks, you have you have Don, uh, you have Randall and his rants about Star Wars. Well, now you have rants about Lord of the Rings and how this kid loves Lord of the Rings. Fucking Randall hates it. Talks up Star Wars, but the Lord of the Rings fans are talking shit about the prequels. Uh, and so, what I would really love to see. Is and then he mentions Transformers as well. How he's such a big Transformers fan. I would really love to see in Clerks Three them talking about how shitty those Transformer movies turned out to be, and how shitty the the Hobbit trilogy turned out to be, and how shitty the the new Star Wars movies wound up being as well because there's been a lot of Lord of the Rings a lot of Star Wars and a lot of Transformers in the past 15 years since this movie came out that uh, I would like to see them getting get into a rant about and it's like they're all on equal ground now that's what I, I agree with you that Elias is I think the biggest sell for me when it comes to the new Clerks movie that number one um Trevor Furman, I think his name is. Like he's not—he's not really an actor. He had worked with um, with uh, Jeff Anderson before on a short uh, on a independent film that they had done together, and that's what kind of um, influenced Kevin Smith to uh, bring him onto Clerks too, because he liked what he saw. Um, now we get to see an even older Elias amongst even older Clerks, and it's a, yeah. I really hope they do tap into the modern. Hollywood franchise, because, yeah, they've all returned. They've all pretty much flopped, you know, depending on who you ask. So it's perfectly right for, and it's got to be, like, somewhere in the opening scene. You know what I mean? You can't, it can't be clerks without some Star Wars discussion. And I do really like how Elias is kind of, like, this face of the new generation for them. Like, there is this disconnect, but at the same time, the sad fact is he's, like, one of the few people it kind of makes sense would get along with Dante and Randall, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dante dreams of more. Randall has no ambition, but, like, they're kind of like, again, societal uh, rejects. That's why they're working at the movies, you know what I mean? So it takes, you know, this out-of-touch person completely, you know, several years out of their league, you know, to kind of make this connection. And by the end, you know, there is a fully formed friendship there that that forms especially between him and Randall. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, let me stop you there. I need to just try and figure out this audio, man. I got you. Okay, I just had to fix a few audio problems. Um, so, sorry it's been quite that. a day, basement dwellers. Let me uh, let me tell you, the audio has been um, pretty crazy this time around, more so than ever. But um, what does happen next in Clerks Two? We were talking about how with Clerks Three, I am excited to see um, 
Elias come back, um, especially now that he's older now too, so he's more experienced. Um, we can see like how different he's become, but also how similar he's been. Um, so yeah, he's definitely my main selling point on Clerks 3. Um, because he's probably my favorite character of this movie. Yeah. Every time he shows up, I don't think, I don't think he has a bad joke in the movie. <clears throat> yeah, so, at this point, um, so I believe Becky shows up, and... Yeah, because the ass-to-mouth conversation, uh, it's... She hasn't even gotten through the door yet, and Randall's already uh, reeling her into this madness. Yeah, because Randall's talking about how these new, younger girls are all into ass-to-mouth, and um, asking Dante if he's ever gone ass-to-mouth, and he asks Elijah, and Elijah's like, that's gross, da-da-da. Um, but yeah, she comes in, and he asks her, and she's like, I haven't even put my purse down. Um... But yeah, he's talking shit at first because she gets out of her car and uh, Dante notices her and waves and he's like, what the fuck, man? You know she's coming in here. Why are you waving at her now? Um, but she comes in and um, you can already tell that something is up between the two of them uh, next to this new supposed perfect life Dante is about to have. Uh, but it's another one of those, when you look at it, it's another one of those Caitlin Bree situations where um, in Clerks, he has this uh, perfect chick. Uh, I forgot her name, but, um, you know, he gets all uh, insecure about the snowball situation and thinks, keeps thinking that him and Caitlin Bree are going to get back together, but she's clearly not into him. And it's one of those, it's, an, it's almost, he's, he's doing the same shit as well. He is not, uh, you know, it's been ten years in these characters' lives, and he's still doing the same shit as far as relationships go. Uh, he is... Yeah, he never really learned his lesson. Um, I think Veronica, the girl's name was in the first one. Yeah. Um, that they were really a good thing together. But yeah, he kind of gets obsessed over this secondary woman in his life. Um, until it becomes all he can think about. Yeah, so, because this new girl, played by uh, Kevin Smith's wife, um, God, what is even her name? In the movie or in real life? Uh, in the movie. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Was it Emma? Yes, I always just... I always just remember her as Kevin Smith, who has Jen Trauma, basically. Yeah, Saz just said Emma, so uh, I believe it's Emma. Um, yes, it is Emma. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, what I do like uh, with what they do here is they could have made her uh, a bitchy character who is just controlling him, and they sort of allude to it, but they clearly show that she really does like him, uh, because she doesn't do anything um, remotely horrible to him at all. Uh, 
she's actually, you know, like, she makes the little joke about, yeah, da-da-da, I got a thing for you, no 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 but it comes off more as a, as she's teasing, like, like she says when, uh, when she does it. So I do like the fact that they don't make her a stereotypical bitch that wants to control him. She's clearly wanting to set up a life with him and, you know, get a house from there with, with her family and stuff. And, um, fucking everything's basically got to be really nice and easy for him, but he doesn't, he doesn't want nice and easy. He wants a little bit of, uh, he wants a little bit of chaos in there. Uh, which is another th reason why uh, he can't get rid of Randall because he needs that uh, he needs that chaos in his life. Um, he needs a little bit of uncertainty and uh, and shit like that. And he doesn't know this, but he eventually learns this by the end of the movie. But I do like the fact that she's not a stereotype bitchy girlfriend and. Uh, who the the worst thing she does to him uh in the movie is when you know she catches uh him making out with uh Becky you know she she hits him in the nuts and smashes the cake in his face but it's well deserved so yeah um so I do like that aspect about it yeah you, know, you can clearly see that you know um they might not work down the road who knows uh we haven't seen these characters together before or after so who knows how it would have turned out, but, uh, I, like I said, I do like that, you know, she actually is a little more three-dimensional than just there to be a bitch. Yeah, it's like she's kind of inadvertently, um, or unintentionally controlling, you know what I mean? Because Dante is so aimless that he kind of feels like she's this controlling figure in his life when really... She's having the time of her life. You know what I mean? She's excited for all this. She's nothing but supportive. She doesn't talk. Like, she comes and visits him at his job. That, let's be real, like, a lot of women would probably um, be very um, judging of. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I, I do enjoy that it's a little bit more realistic than the typical villain role. Um, I would say the character is a little land at times, but she, again, serves that purpose in Dante's life that, again, he has this out. This could actually work out really well if he just got out of his own head and, um, and just went for it. But it's like you said, he's kind of self-sabotaging his way because he doesn't know what he wants even now. And he's never really aware of it, so subconsciously he's always kind of sabotaging his way out. It's like you said, you can't live without Randall because in many ways Randall is that little devil on his shoulder or that side of him that he always kind of wanted to be, that assertiveness, that I don't give a shit kind of attitude. Um, so yeah, I think it really works out for Dante's arc in this, um, and it makes more of the repercussions fall on him rather than having her be a villainous person where you can point the finger at her well, it's like, oh, well, she wasn't really that great anyway. It's like, no, all his actions, like, it is It is nice that he ends up with Becky at the end, but let's not forget that he still did something really fucked up. Yeah, he cheated on his girlfriend and uh, <clears throat> got a girl pregnant and um, 
fucking instead of doing the right thing and ending it when he should have, he let uh, he basically got busted. Is that the thing he he admires? Like Randall is childish, but he's assertive, and although people he's not friendly with people, he's very direct when telling people to fuck off and stuff like that. Uh, Dante's complete opposite of that. That like if he has a problem with something, like unless it's Randall, you know, I mean, especially with women, he's not very vocal, and that's kind of been the um, kind of crux of his whole character since Clerks One is that. He's so undecisive that he can't even really form thoughts with himself, let alone explain it to his significant other, which leads him to make these decisions and do these, you know, do these things that just put him in these awful situations. Um, And I like that by the end of this movie, you know, he does learn a lesson and he does actually start to begin a new life for himself in a way that he didn't imagine but allows himself to have what he needs. It's like you said, he does need that chaos, but it needs to be that controlled chaos. And it's kind of surprising that the idea at the end does come from Randall. So it takes the chaos to kind of bring him into that happy ending that he needs. Yeah, hell yeah. <clears throat> so... Uh, it's well done, Kevin. Like this, yeah. this might actually be one of his best scripts. Um, I would love to get a copy of it and see, like, maybe what was added and taken out and stuff like that. Kind of what we were talking about before with um, the chapter cards and stuff like that. Like, what could have been in there, what maybe was studio decisions, what, um, you know, what was Kevin's original vision going to be. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we have, at this point... um, you get it's really it's really weird because I I actually felt this way with uh, the first clerks where uh, everything felt like little short vignettes or little short scenes where this movie kind of does that too and I'm kind of remembering things out of order uh, just like I did with the first clerks um, but there's a little more uh, structure here but. Uh, I'm still having trouble remembering things in order. Um, so there's the bit with he pulls out the onion ring and he says one ring to rule them all, and we get the uh, the uh, funny ass little bit with uh, you know there's only one return and it's not of the king, it's of the Jedi, and you have uh, you have the other Lord of the Rings fan. I love that scene, uh, them going back and forth like that. Oh, I'm Anakin Skywalker. Um, and then when they're talking, uh, when they're talking to Elias, or when uh, when Randall's talking to Elias, and uh, uh, his whole explanation on how he just heard that they're making a live-action Transformers, and how how God made man and man made Transformers, that it's okay to like it. Um, well, what's so funny is there was a church I used to go to. Uh, back when I was about 13, and when I was starting to be like, yeah, I don't want to go here, uh, there was, now I was never into Pokemon, but there was a lot of people that, uh, I was friends with there that were, and I remember the lady Mm -hmm. up there, she was the youth director, 
And she was talking about how Pokemon was evil because the characters evolve and it promotes evolution. And I was like, it's a fucking cartoon, <laughs> you know? I'm like, let, such a stretch. Yeah, I'm like, let people enjoy their fucking cartoons. Jesus Christ. Um, and so that was and always... And then later down the line, you know, there was also, you know, same thing with, like, Harry Potter, too. There was that whole shit where it's like, oh, it's promoting witchcraft, it's devil worship. And, like, you know, yeah. you actually get down to it. It's nothing absolute. And it's been like that since the dawn of time, too, like, with stuff like... Yeah, we're just not allowed to burn DVD people like for it anymore. We're not allowed to burn people for it anymore, so... Yeah, it's exactly like mm -hmm. it's always been, but thankfully without the torture. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it, that 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 exchange is real funny. Uh, and well, fuck, man. But then they start scaring him and uh, singing the King Diamond lyrics. Uh, he's like, you know, I don't Let like. Let me help you now, you can't And then Jay coming from around the fucking uh, drive-through, like. Don't they start, like, fucking choking him with, like, the headset or something like that? Or No, they start, like, shaking him up, and he runs with the headset still attached to him, which flings him back. Yeah. And that <laughs> that is uh, that is real funny uh, to me with the, uh, they're, they're seeing King Diamond, and he's like, oh, you know I don't like to talk about dark forces. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I love the reaction shot that they cut back to um, when they're singing King Diamond, and then you have Silent Bob in the corner just having a really good time with it, um, just kind of dancing to himself. Yeah. I think this is one of the, um, the best Silent Bob facial performances in this universe. There's a lot of... Um, Especially if you check out, like, GIFs of Silent Bob and stuff like that that get shared on social media and stuff like that. I've noticed that a lot of, um, a lot of them come from, from where there's just, there's not all over the place. Uh, but there's the Jay and Silent Bob dance that they do while they're listening to fucking uh, Jackson 5, where they're kind of doing that worm back and forth. Uh, Really good shit. Like, Kevin Smith um, never really gives his acting much credit, but I think it gets better and better um, the more time he has with Silent Bob. You know, even with Reboot as well. Like, I might have, like, some criticisms with, like, story or certain scenes, but I always, I always have a good time with this Silent Bob performance. I feel like he's always finding ways to emote and express visually. Um, you know, I mean, it gets more and more, you can say cartoony, but um, it's never not entertaining. So this is definitely one of my favorite Silent Bob performances um, out of the different movies. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, man. I actually cannot fucking wait to get the reboot, man, and hear what you have to say because... Uh, I think, uh, you know, ever since we've started this back, uh, you've got me like, damn, man, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this, um, because it sounds like you have some fairly strong opinions about it. Uh, mixed is more like it, because it's like, I wouldn't say strong, overall, like, I enjoyed the movie, but there are just certain moments that 
either weren't my cup of tea or some jokes that I felt like fell flat, and then other moments that I absolutely loved. So I think it would make for a really interesting discussion because it's such a um, a mix of different talking points, you know what I mean, for various different reasons. But I'm also so happy it exists. It's definitely going to be one of the funner um, discussions that we're going to get into because it, it's a it's a quick movie, but so much happens in it too, more so than Strikes Back. There's ten times like more characters, more time has passed even from like Clerks Two. That like there's all that backstory and setup and stuff like that. So yeah, you guys definitely got to stay tuned for that because I I can't wait to really unload. But I need to rewatch it too because even with a movie as simple as Clerks Two, you could see like. We remember the scenes, but not the order. With uh, James Silent Bob reboot, on top of the fact that the new movie is like, yeah, I gotta definitely refresh my memory and take some notes. Um, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, hell yeah. So what happens next? Um, so I believe, uh, I believe that so Dante's girlfriend shows up and they're making out on the swing and uh, they're just talking about, you know getting ready to move the next day, going to Florida. Randall shows up, being weird, just watching him. And uh, she flashes him, uh, you know, tell him to go away. And he's like, why did you tell him? Uh, well, why did you do that? Now he's going to think that you want to have a three-way with us. And yeah, so Randall walks up. Randall walks up after she uh, goes away and says, uh, I think your girlfriend wants to have a three-way with us. Um, funny little bit. Uh, funny little bit. Uh, then we get the... So, he walks into Becky's office, and she's looking at something. And she's, she's just like, clearly distraught. She's like, fuck, or oh shit. And he walks in there, she's trying to hide it from him. And, um, they're just talking, and fucking, so, is this the same time he starts doing her nails? Yeah, um, and this is apparently, like, an average thing that they do with each other. Um, so, if sexual tension wasn't already there, by the way, I think Tarantino came in for this part, um, but... Um, it's already set up right off the bat that this is kind of um, the real relationship that's being established. Um, but Becky also establishes this uh, thing that she doesn't believe in romantic love. Yeah. How it goes. Which kind of gives me flashbacks to Chasing Amy in a way where it's not necessarily a guy trying to get with a lesbian, but it's a guy trying to get with a girl who's, like, openly, like, not... or, like, basically saying she's not available. You know I mean? Something that seemingly shouldn't work, he's trying to make work. And eventually it does, but the situation he has to go through for... You know what I mean? It does... It, it harkens back to um, Chasing Amy Vibes. Yeah, I can see that. And Randall busts in a few times and just trying to catch him doing something. Yes, exactly. And already, like, he's been on Becky's bedside since the moment she walked through the door with the ass to mouth thing because 
She immediately puts him on an Elias job. Um, that's an Elias job. Yeah, well, uh, that comparison to pink and brown eyes just made it a Randall job. Yeah. Um, and then I think in Elias, he's like, burn or something like that. Like, Shut the fuck up, Gobot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like he keeps calling him Gobot, but uh, I think it is cool when that one guy sort of defends him, you know, don't. Uh, or yeah, Jay, uh, uh, goddamn, what's his name? Uh, Jason Lee shows up as a uh, guy. I can never remember his character's name. Um, I think it's like Lance Dowd or something yeah, like that. Dowd. I always call him the Mad, the, the Mad Duckets guy. Yeah, the Mad Duckets guy uh, walks up in there, and it's always fun to see Jason Lee play uh, a character in these movies, even if it's for a little second. Uh, and so, weirdly enough, it is sort of a... Um, uh, it's sort of a weird reunion of sorts because, you know, Jason Lee and uh, Ethan Slutley are both in Mallrats, and then they are both the main characters in My Name is Earl. Which is funny that I just realized they're both in this movie together. Um, and My Name is Earl actually has a really big impact over the filming of this movie because um, it's not like a huge change of things, but like the character of Lance Dowd, when... Kevin Smith wrote it, didn't have the mustache and the sideburns. And I think he tried to convince um, Jason Lee, like, hey, can you get rid of that? And they were in either the middle of filming or they were about to come back for another season of My Name is Earl. And I think the way he put it to Kevin Smith was like, dude, this is like my identity now. I can't, like, I can't get rid of Earl. Yeah, and then, you know, it might be, he might have been contractually obligated to keep the uh, mustache and sideburns instead of shaving him off. Um, so it, what and it they works were, better too when he puts on those douchebag sunglasses and does the finger guns. Like it, it's such a small scene, but it becomes such a memorable thing because then he's also we we find out that he's pickle fucker. Yeah. Goddamn pickle fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Had to take and a bite. There's of the it. fucking uh, damn bro. This shit tastes like piss and flies. Yeah, so yeah, they slap, man, they, oh, God, it's so gross. He scoops ice out of the piss urinal, and he fucking throws flies on the burger, man. It is so gross. And he hands it to Jay and Silent Bob. They're like, yeah, we got some free food. And they're straight up, he's just chowing down on that shit. But I do like how Jay is just like, he's just still eating it, you know. He's like, this shit tastes like piss and flies. As if, like, damn, number one. You, you know it tastes horrible, and you're still eating it, and then, how do you know what piss and flies taste like? Those two distinct uh, things. He buys it, and he's just like, yeah, no, I'm probably not going to like it, though, am I? It's such like, the whole scene, he just showed up just to see that they're working at the movies. Um, yeah, because he's doing it's, so great. It's what you mentioned before. What's up? Cause he's doing so great. He, uh, you know, he had he, he, you know, he was shit on in high school with everybody, and he made it, and he fucking sold his little company to Amazon, and made all that money. Just wanted to go in there and see how shitty these people that used to make fun of him are doing. So, uh, yeah, I like that. It's one of the more memorable cameos in there because he actually has like vocal lines um, because we have cameos from um, 
Ben Affleck where it's just a look, like you said before, and that's all it is. But for some reason, uh, or maybe he gets like one line, but it's very little. This is an actual like whole sequence. Um, then there's the Wanda Sykes sequence as well, which I love. Yeah, so coming up we have Randall messing with the movie's internet, uh, which I do like is still there from uh, from Jay and Silent Bob. And he's setting up uh, Dante's Going Away President, which is a donkey show, a traveling donkey show. And he's telling Elias, and Elias is like, no, that's bestiality. Oh, my God. Uh, Elias, what I like is Elias is clearly sheltered, but being around Dante and Randall is allowing him to see uh, more of the world even if uh, being around Randall is showing him things that maybe they all shouldn't be seeing. Uh, yeah, I think that may be illegal in most countries. Yeah. Um, but I do like the fact that Elias is, uh, yeah, he doesn't want to be a part of it, but he's still, like, you know, sticking around. Um because at the end of the day, these are still like the closest thing to friends that he has, and Randall takes advantage of that. That um, he knows that like he could blow it, but if he just twists Elias the right way, it all worked out. And he's always trying to convince Elias of what he's doing is like the coolest shit ever. Yeah. Um, and it's that smugness, it's that confidence that Randall gives off. That like I feel like Jeff Anderson's performance. Um, Never misses a beat. Same thing for Brian O'Halloran, too. That's the thing is that our main characters, um, aside from Becky, like, they, they aren't mainstream actors, and they're carrying the film really well. Uh, and then Rosario Dawson being the one, because uh, she kind of became the face of all the posters and stuff like that, um, she actually does really good at supporting. Um, Basically, the three unknowns. I wouldn't say Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson are unknown to the Kevin Smith fans, but from a wider Hollywood perspective, you know what I mean? Yeah, from a wider Hollywood audience, definitely. And what's crazy is, originally, uh, they were going to have uh, Kevin Smith's wife play Becky, but the Weinsteins were like, no, we want a more well-known actor in this spot, and they actually asked uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, somebody else, I forgot who it was, but they both turned it down, uh, and they went with Rosario Dawson, so it's funny that, um, like you were saying, that the main cast are, to a wider Hollywood audience, are unknowns, and the one fairly well-known Hollywood actor is playing a uh, supporting role in the film. Which I'm excited for Clerks 3 as well, that she's a supporting role here, but hopefully she'll be more of a leading active act in this new one. Yeah. Um, and I just love the energy that Rosario Dawson puts into the role, because um, I, I like those choices that she makes with her career, that these are roles that a lot of big actresses, like you, like you said, turn down. Um, and she kind of just gives it a go because she um, she just wants to see the challenge. You know what I mean? Like, this was around the same time she was doing, like, Sin City. Um, 
think, uh, what else was she doing around that time? I love most of the roles she takes on just because um, it is a, a wide array of characters that she doesn't really limit herself to one genre. And I think, I can't really imagine any other character playing this role. Because um, even in like the blooper reels and stuff like that, you can tell she's just having fun with the whole process. Um, so yeah, I think they really lucked out on getting just the right uh, mainstream actor to be in a more uh, prominent role. Because it's a tough thing to do, man. Like, if you pick the wrong face or the wrong um, personality who doesn't, like, mesh well with the project or isn't as passionate about it, you know what I mean? It's like you can tell immediately it can go right downhill. But um, she matches them in charisma and stuff like that. And... Um, I don't know, man. I'm so happy that she continues to collaborate with Kevin Smith because, like, she rocks at reading his dialogue, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a it, it's a damn good surprise. What's funny is I didn't know who she was before I saw this movie, and in fact, the only other thing I could think of her being in uh, that I've seen is doing the voice of. Uh, the one character on Rob Zombie's uh, Haunted World of El Superbisto cartoon movie. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. We gotta do an episode on El Superbisto. That's a movie that... Damn, if you become friends with me, odds are you're gonna see that fucking demented movie. Fucking love um, that movie. We gotta do a whole Rob Zombie uh, retro like we're doing with the Kevin Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Dead ass for real. Uh, but yeah, that movie is fucking great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the only other movie I could think of her in. Uh, but fucking, so what happens next? I guess um, Randall's getting pissed, and so he has to blow off some steam. So they they go to the go kart place, and this right here sort of mirrors uh, driving to the funeral in a way. Uh, because they do two bits. They do two bits like this. Uh, and it's almost like going to the funeral, but they do the go-kart ride. And, you know, yeah, it's whatever. My buddy, a buddy of mine at work, uh, is, he hates this scene. He thinks it's, uh, it's nothing, like, it's a nothing scene. But at least it has a purpose, uh, because it shows you that Randall is having a hard time dealing with the fact that his only friend is uh, going to be leaving the next day, and he doesn't know how to handle it. And he, it, it's character yeah. growth. Like, there's a purpose for them to do this. Um, so, I agree with him that, yeah, I could see it being a boring scene for people, but uh, at least it has a purpose uh, for what it's doing. And then when they get That's back... That's what I was saying. I would say, um, I would say it has more purpose than the dance sequence, because the dance sequence is really supposed to, like... Um, really ignite that flame between um, Becky and Dante, where it's like you said, this is kind of like Randall's coping mechanism, and again, I've constantly been comparing them like as man-children or as like teens who never grew up. It's like, it's a very juvenile thing to do that that's his kind of um, calming routine. He likes to go to the go-karts. Yeah, and they Um, just leave on the clock to go do this. Anywhere else, you're fucking fired. Anywhere else you are, fi- in fact, uh, anywhere else you would have, they would have been fired within the first hour of their day. Uh, at least Randall, uh, but uh, 
So they get back, and it's a madhouse. It's looking I was like. Say, if not, if not for going to the go karts, what happens next? You're most certainly fired. Yeah. Never come back. The fucking end. Uh, so they come back, and it's easily the lunch rush, and one of the only times you see customers in this fast food joint. Uh, you know, like, you have like a... one time it's packed to the brim. Yeah, like, you have a few customers come in, or might, you might see a handful of people sitting down at a table, but this is the first time you're kind of actually seeing, uh, shit going down, making food, uh, serving people, and shit like that. Uh, and she's pissed because they have left. And um, Elijah, Elijah, Elias, I keep wanting to say Elijah, um, Elias yeah. is very, he's just overwhelmed back there. So they get in there and um, they are, they're bitching and complaining. And uh, one of my, um, I hate to tell you off, one of my favorite lines during that moment is, um, so Elias is like, I don't think these fries are looking too good. It's like, oh, God damn it, man, step away from the fryer before you burn us all alive. Yeah. Yeah, when he was the one that left the coffee pot on. <laughs> he would know, right? Um, yeah, so Randall just kind of gets lost in his own rant. Um, and if you've seen the movie, like, you know what he says, and it completely derails the entire fucking lunch rush that goes on. Yeah, so he, um, you have Wanda Sykes and her husband, uh, played by Earthquake. Uh, don't know who he is, but I saw that his name is Earthquake. Uh in the cast uh, on Wikipedia, but, yeah, so he says pea monkeys, which I never heard before. I've never heard that before this movie, and actually I've never heard it outside of this movie, um, so that was new to me. Um, and then when he says, why can't I say this? And uh, he's like, well, because it's a racial slur. He's like, no, it's not. N-word is. I'm just like, I love how he just throws it out there all nonchalant. It's like, God damn, dude, like, you're, you're making it worse. And then... He goes I, down the whole list. Yeah. At, at, like, peak volume in the middle of the thing. So, yeah, you would be fired ten times over. Uh, and then he tries to justify it by, like, you know, my grandmother used to call me that, and she was the sweetest woman in the whole wide world, and then just hits us with another, like, well, she used to call a broken bottle that. Yeah, he's oh, um, the inward knife and talk about how yeah, and I love the sheeny curse. I love Dante's reaction to when he mentions the knife. Yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, so and then I like that, you know, they're like, oh, we're sorry, we're going to give you your money back and you can have the food free. She don't want the fucking food. But uh, her husband uh, clearly does and he's still trying to take the food and uh, he's all, you know, he, oh, yeah. I'm just going to take the food. So, uh, he goes, why can't we take the food? Can't taste racism. Yeah, 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 you can't taste racism. That shit was fucking hilarious. Um, but yeah, so the customers clear out and Eli Elias is uh, cleaning up the mess. But we got to talk about the pussy troll bit because he's like, you're a virgin. And what's so funny is like, you're, you, you just now realize that this man is a virgin, a damn virgin. Um, <laughs> like, you've worked with him for, like, a year, and you haven't, I'm sure that there's shit that has come out of this kid's mouth in the past year that should have raised that flag, but 
I love it. He says, but we can't because of pillow pants. And when she's young, they put a pussy troll inside of her and he'll bite off my dick. Uh, and she pees him out uh, on her 21st birthday to keep her from having premarital sex. And the look on Randall's face during this entire uh, sentence is fucking hilarious. And like you said, when it's playing the theme from um, The Shining, it just sounds demented as fuck. But I love how this kid, he, the actor is, is telling this story so, this outlandish, completely unbelievable story, as if he actually does believe this shit. No, and his whole tone changes too. Like, he's definitely playing it up to play more of like a horror character version of Elias, but no, he says it so genuinely. And then if you didn't think it was worse enough, it's like, well, did you ever kiss him on the mouth? And it's like, oh, well, uh, that, that's a problem with Lester. Her mouth troll. <laughs> like, oh okay. my god. And fucking... There's a weird, um, I, during the behind the scenes, um, I think it was fucking Harvey Weinstein, of all people, one of the producers on this movie, suggested to Kevin Smith that they should actually do a cutaway gag where you see the pussy troll. Um, and in light of new information, you know, well, not new information, but in light of the information about Harvey Weinstein that had come out, like, doesn't that just make a lot of sense that, of course, he'd be the one who wants to see the pussy troll? Yeah. <laughs> fucking. Uh... And they were... And, and Kevin Smith had no idea how to react to this. He's like, how would you... Because he's like, it's funny to leave it up to your imagination. Because it's so fucking stupid. But he's like, how would you even uh, represent the pussy troll? So the idea that they came up with, and they were going to actually film it, was it was going to be a pair of, like, two giant wooden legs. And then Jason Mewes was going to dress up like a fucking, like, jester or troll or something... And he was just going to do, like, a little dance underneath the legs. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked. No, yeah, and then his idea was, he's like, there's no, once they actually, like, came up with that idea, like, there's no way we're going to fucking cut that into this scene that's already funny as it is. So then they tried to bargain that, like, could it just be, like, an after credits thing? Like, once the movie's already done, we should cut to the pussy troll. But thank God they were able to actually cut that out. Uh huh. But Jason Hughes was actually disappointed. He's like, what? I, so wait, I'm not playing the troll now? <laughs> oh, shit. But so that's easily one of the weirdest behind the scenes. Like, I always remember that, because it's like, it adds nothing to the movie, you know what I mean? I, like, on the one hand, it's a gripe of mine, because I hate, like, studio interference, but it's like, it's, I, you definitely got to find the clip of, um, Kevin Smith going into it, because he's always able to put an entertaining way, an entertaining spin on that story. So what happens next? Is this where, okay, so we've had a few scenes where um, she's talking with Dante about, you know, does he really want to move and all this, and, uh, but she finally busts in there and she's saying, um, 
you know, are you afraid to get married? Are you scared of getting married? And he says, well, not afraid of getting married. I'm afraid that, you know, I, you know, I can't dance. And, you know, no, 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 I can't, I don't want to be able, I can slow dance, but I can't make a show of it, no, no, no. So we get another scene that, in a way, mirrors a scene from the first Clerks where they, they play their hockey game on the roof. So him and her go up there to dance on the roof. And uh, I do like it at first. Nah. Um, she, uh, she asked Jay and Silent Bob if they have their boombox and to play something danceable, and they turn on the King Diamond song, and, um, she's like, no, something a little less demonic, and I love it when Jay pulls the tape out, puts the other one in, and he, it takes him, like, four tries to get that damn tape deck to, uh, close, that's, uh, real funny, uh, but then they turn on the ABC song, and it, to me, it starts off fine at first, because this is a scene that I think is, like, it it gets a little on the uh, the unnecessary uh, side of things uh, where all right it starts off she's dancing she's like no 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 follow my lead do 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 he ain't so good at it so he sits down and like you said it's there to be the scene is there to be their little uh, their little bonding moment that's like yeah something more is gonna come out of this whether she says she doesn't believe in romantic love or not something's gonna come out of this he's gonna realize da 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 she's the one that that he needs, but he sits down, and so there isn't really any kind of romantic exchange here. He's just watching her dance uh, while, and I it think cuts to um, it cuts to him sitting there, and I do like that shot because he is just watching her, but the smile on face, like you see him basically falling in love with her right then and there. Yeah, that is um, true. That is true. What is really funny is um, she does claim to not believe in romantic love, but then she continues to like dance to one of like the most upbeat romantic songs, and she's doing choreography of her heart beating and stuff like that. So it's like it's definitely some mixed signal going on. Like yes, the context is that she's trying to teach him, but like she starts to get to a point where she starts getting really into it. Um, I don't know. I think I think overall it's a fun sequence, but you de you do definitely know where it starts to go over the top, and it's where Jay and Silent Bob show up staring right at the camera with their pigtails. Because I yeah. like it up until I like I said I'll defend the whole thing, but if I'm getting nitpicky, like yeah, up until there. Yeah, like I like when Wrangle does the classic uh, Wrangler walk across the fucking table. That's yeah, hilarious. like. All that is fine. All that is cool to me. Like, I'm cool with, you know, the people that, you know, I'm cool with Elias doing his thing, uh, doing the little DJ thing. I'm cool. I, you know, I like Randall doing his, uh, his swagger walk, uh, and the dude pissing in the bathroom and, and getting down, you know, that's cool. You know, that's I was all fine. Say, even the pissing dude works. Uh, but then, like you said, when it cuts to JSL and Bob with the pigtails and you got this massive, uh, choreographed dancing. I do think it's funny, uh, cause we had like, look at some of the people in this dance crowd. There is a nun, uh, there's like an Indian lady, um, but I mean, it's a, it's a charming little scene, but it's one that, uh, it, it sorta, it did what it needed to do, um, it could've, it, it did what it needed to do a lot quicker than the, the entire segment lasted. Because at that point, I'm like, all right, you know, let's go ahead and move on, da-da-da. 
But, I mean, it's a fine scene all on its own, but it's probably the only scene in the movie that I can do without. Uh, they could have cut I, it. I feel like it's one of those scenes, I feel like it's one of those scenes that got overly harped on because it is so out of nowhere. And I think in Kevin's mind, that's what the comedy of it is. Is that, like, I get it. Like, it is absurd that all of a sudden this impromptu dance sequence breaks out. And I agree with you. Like, the faces in the crowd are, you know, all different kinds of people that that is kind of funny to pick it up with. It's exactly what you said, that we, the point of the scene has already been made, and that's kind of what makes it, like, why we're talking about it right now, basically. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to critique it, but it's like, you can't shake off this feeling that we can move on now, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, like it's, not a, it's not a bad scene at all, and in fact, the dancing's cool and all that, you know, it's not a bad scene, but yeah, it's one of those, all right, let's move on, let's get on with it. Because already the movie is an hour and uh, 57 minutes long. So you could have you yeah. could have trimmed that and we could have... we, But, I mean, really, we would have only lost about, what, a minute and a half if you trimmed that one bit. So you're not losing much, but you're not gaining much. You know what I mean? It goes a long way, like little trims. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, it... it it's a love it or hate it moment, really. Yeah. Um, and overall, I would say, like, yeah, it's harmless, um, but it, it, it's not unnecessary. Yeah, it's not. It's not a scene that I hate or anything. It doesn't ruin the movie or anything, <laughs> but it just needs to be said. I do like the way it ends, though, because it, like, again, yeah, it really is building up to this reveal. And maybe that's the reason why he did it, that he kind of overloads your senses with this upbeat, positive banter piece of Jackson 5. And not only does he basically, it's not a super big bomb on Dante's part, like, we all know that he has feelings for her, but he drops the bomb on her, he goes, I love you. Yeah. And then she drops a fucking nuclear bomb on him. That she is pregnant. And... And then she drops... He drops the pregnant on her. Yeah, he fucking drops her, and then it's like, oh shit, I'm sorry. Uh, and it's like, damn, dude, dropping your pregnant, uh, pregnant lady, man. Um, but yeah, so he basically like runs out. Um, and so yeah, earlier in, in the movie, when they're talking about when they had fucked in the store after it closed, and she mentioned mayonnaise getting in her cooch, and I'm like, did you really think that was mayonnaise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he runs out there, and the first person he talks to is fucking Randall, talking about how she's pregnant. Which, man, I, like, you know, I love how, as much as Dante should know better, like, the, the friendship between them is so strong that time and time again, like, you know, he immediately goes straight to Randall, who, um, what's it called? You know, he's gonna blow it. Yeah. In and a matter of minutes. And he damn sure knows that Randall will blow it. And not even a couple minutes after it goes down. Uh, but yeah, so Jay's trying to piss, and they slam the door on him a couple times. And, uh... But, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure we've skipped over this, but the goodbye horses scene with Jay... Uh, how he's bored out there, and so uh, Silent Bob turns on Goodbye Horses. Who sings that? Do you know? 
Well, that sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. I was trying to follow. <laughs> uh, the the goodbye horses scene. Um, Jay's bored, and so Silent Bob turns on Goodbye Horses, and we get the uh, the Buffalo Bill uh, Silence of the Lamb scene with the Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me, and putting on the lipstick, and um, I thought it was great because they they cut it there, and then later on they walk out, and then boom, the Manginus uh, shot right there, which. Uh, when I yeah, first saw the movie, doing it freely, like out in the open. Yeah, when I first saw the movie, I, I was like, "All right, cool reference," and I wasn't expecting them to go full mangina shot uh, with the tuck and all that. And then, so I appreciated that scene a little more because, like, "All right, y'all, y'all fully fucking went there with it." Um, but uh, but yeah, so they're out there. I think that was um, I think that was Kevin Smith's also. Uh, Another one of his arguments against showing the pussy troll is like we already have Jay Muse doing the science of the lamps. Like, what more, like, could we do? Um, and again, that's another one of those moments that gets highly memed and highly gifted a lot. So going back into why this is one of my favorite Jay and Silent Bob iterations, um, they're just always hitting you with a memorable moment. Yeah. Like they really don't waste any. Aside from the pigtails, like, they really don't waste any screen time with them. Yeah. And they don't become obnoxious either. Like, you know what I mean? They use them somewhat sparingly. Yeah. Like, kind of back to where they were in the first Clerks. So, hopefully with um, Clerks 3, he can kind of do that as well. Because I know they're his big character, James Final Boss, but that's kind of like the fun of Clerks is that now they're kind of back to being like the C-3PO and R2-D2 of the story. Yeah. Um, so he's telling him about how Becky's pregnant, and so I guess, what, does Becky run out there, and yeah, he, she runs out there, and the first fucking thing Randall does is, um, I, I hope the child you bear is strong, or something like that, he says something weird as fuck. Um... Uh, he goes, like, make sure uh, your child, like, the first child you bear is a masculine one or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 and motherfucking, so yeah, she knows that Dante's told, and she gets pissed and leaves. And, uh, so he's telling Dante, yeah, look, you need to go ahead, you need to follow her, man, she's the one for you, no, no, no. Uh, because he's, uh, he tells her, you know, I'm having, or he tells Randall that I'm having second thoughts about moving, uh, to Florida. And so... At this point, um, Kelly and the sexy stud are uh, pulling in, and Randall notices and is like, "Oh man, uh, go go for an hour, go for an hour." Uh, and he's like, "Why an hour? <laughs> you gotta go after her, man." Yeah, and he's but, like, uh, "One of the little interactions before we get into when the uh, sexy stud arrives is." Um, when they first go out to the back of that drive-through, one of my favorite exchanges between Don Van Randall is he swings and hits the fucking mic and like really hurt the pain. He goes, "You swung at me," and he goes, "You duck!" And he goes, "Because you swung at me." Yeah, yeah. And it's just childish shit like that that like is the highlight of their relationship for me personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they love each other, but they're always constantly at each other's throats. It's very much like a brotherly thing, where it's like, 
you guys are both like, what, 30-something now. You guys are still acting like this. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like when they had their brawl and, and destroyed the uh, convenience store at the end of the first movie, but they're still friends after that. <coughs> but yeah, you, they, they both drive off, and uh, Kinky Kelly and the Sexy Stutter arrives. And this is another one that gets quoted a lot within my friend group that, um, it, what is it? It's not animal porn, it's uh, interspecies erotica. Yeah, it's not bestiality. And I like that, like, he's clearly not, like, it's one of those misunderstandings because Randall just thinks he's the driver or the roadie. Mm-hmm. And, but he doesn't, he doesn't think Randall knows that there's not a lady here. And, uh, talking about, yeah, I got a fog machine for ambiance. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, we got a cool scene, a little montage with, uh, him trying to find, uh, Becky, and there's, they're setting things up, and it's just a montage to pass, pass the time to, uh, to darkness, and uh, it's playing 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins. And, like, what all is going on here? Because uh, we have, uh, we see um, Emma baking a cake, and we see, we just see a lot of driving. Oh, man, you were cutting out. I believe so. I don't know, um, 
I don't know if she appeared in Jersey Girl or anything like that, so I think that is the second um, time they used her. Um, which, you know, is always cool, and it probably helps them save time instead of, because it is such a quick scene anyway, that like... Yeah, it's better to get your own kids so than it somebody else's. But, um, what happens, because it, it's true, it's such a quick montage, and then we're basically just back at the store, and, uh, the... The show was pretty much ready. Yeah, so the show is ready. Uh, he didn't find, uh, and this is what I liked about this scene too, is it's morally just a, a, a thinking scene for the characters, and it's there for a passage of time, but we don't have a drawn out scene where he catches up with Becky and she's bitching at him and he's bitching and they realize that they like each other, da da da. I'm glad that we don't get that. I'm glad that he didn't find her and he goes back. And we get into the donkey show, uh, and Elias is already wasted. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to smoke some weed. Wasted and then some. Yeah. So he's got to smoke some weed for the first time, drink some beer for the first time, and being drunk and high at the same time are, is not fun, uh, especially if you're new to it. Um, but I will say that the way he's acting uh, is a very Hollywood idea of being wasted, but I like it because it makes sense because of the kind of person Elias is. Uh, is Maybe he's not even that wasted. Maybe he's playing it up because in his mind, based on popular culture, he believes this is how people act. Uh, when they are wasted. So maybe he's not even that fucked up and he is playing it up because he thinks that this is how... Yeah, I, I could see that because um, he's also screaming like, Ooh, I love pussy and beer. Like, he's trying to fit in, like, yeah. and finally being able to be at a party and stuff like that and do what the cool kids do. Yeah. Um, but then I think it gets to a point where he is genuinely wasted because they cut to him fucking jerking it to the donkey show and crying. I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> so oh, that's where God. I think I think at that point he's fucking he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know he's passed out in the jail uh, too. So, but I do I do like that because every other time we've seen anyone get high in these movies, they've act like normal people when they're high. Uh, so it is, it is kind of funny to see uh, somebody who doesn't know about this kind of stuff playing it up. Um, so it is, it, there's a little more thought you know, into it. Also it. Comes to like, um, it also comes to real life, too, because it's like I've smoked with various different people, and it's true, you have some people where, you know, it's just normal to them, nothing really changes, and then there are the people who kind of overthink it or don't do it too much that when it does hit them, they do kind of become like Elias, right? Where yeah. like, it's not really hitting them as hard as they think it is, but it's so, it's exactly what you said, it is so new to them that, like, you're like, bro, relax, you're not even, like, you took one hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, with me, when, when I used to smoke weed, um, it was more sparingly, and so I never had a tolerance for weed. So whenever I would smoke weed, I would get stupid off of two or three hits. And it would last for hours. And my vision would be altered. Things looked different. And I'd be laughing. And I remember uh, Stas and, and Zach, you know, they, you know, they were smoking like every day. And I'd smoke maybe once on the weekend. 
And I'd be like, damn, man, why doesn't it fuck y'all up like this? And they're like, well, our tolerance is higher, you know, it's more of like a chill body high. And I'm like, so all this crazy weird shit's not like this anymore? And they're like, no. And then I remember when my tolerance built up when I started smoking every day. And I was like, damn, I miss this. I, I miss the thing that I used to come to smoke weed for. Uh, now, now, now I'm just smoking weed to relax, you know. Uh, but now it's been, man. Yeah, exactly. It does, um, like, I like how Dan from uh, Ninja Sex Party put it, because he had been, like, a long-time pot smoker, uh, and then out of nowhere, like, just gave it up for good, like, and the reason why is because he was, like, you know, after a while, like, it just kind of becomes your new normal, and then it's like, well, why do you, like, like why am I getting high in the first place, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I love about characters like Jay and Silent Bob is that, it simply just never gets old for them. Like, that is just their lifestyle. Um, until Clerks 2. Like, this is one of the few moments that, like you said, until they get to the dump show, they actually were doing pretty good for a little bit. Yeah, no, they... Tolerance free. They have fell, fell off the wagon. But, uh, but, yeah, so I haven't smoked weed in, like, nine years. So, if I were to have a hit, I, I, would, get, I would get wasted as fuck. And... Back to the, uh... Especially with, like, half the shit. Now with it getting, like, legalized all over the place, like... Yeah. With half the shit that they're producing nowadays, the different vapes, the edibles, it's like... This shit gets worked on like it's a fucking cure for a disease. Yeah. But, like, uh... this shit gets you fucked up. <laughs> that is awesome. And so, um... The, the donkey show begins. This is, like, the big set piece of the movie, uh, if you will... Uh, and the reveal comes, the donkey comes out, and, uh, Kelly comes out, or, uh, the sexy stud comes out, I mean, and, um, I'm guessing Randall thinks that he's, like, the fluffer for this donkey, and he's like, the chick will be out soon. Yeah, the chick will be out soon, you see. Yeah, uh, wait, wait, where's the chick? Yeah. I don't know, even after, like, he goes up on stage, and... Kelly isn't even, like, phased by it. It's not interrupting him at all. He's just still revving up. And I love how Jakey Kelly kind of has, like, this this tiny little catchphrase that he keeps going back to. Um, I, I'm Jakey Kelly. This is Sexy Stud. Hey! He always likes to do that little, yeah. hey! Hey! Uh, but yeah, he says, what? But, <laughs> but the donkey's a dude. And he's like, Kelly can be a guy's name. Which is true, because uh, when I was taking uh, sheet metal and blueprints classes, um, one of the instructors was a man named Kelly. Um, and I went to school with a guy named Courtney. It's like, you learn, like, what gender-neutral names are, and it's like, it's really interesting. Yeah. And, um, so... What's so funny no, is... I'm a gender-neutral name, you know what I mean? At the end of the day... Yeah, Francis. And yeah, Francis is a boy's and a lady's name, uh, both ways. Uh, or you can mail it up and call call yourself Frank. Uh, and then you can also use it both ways with Frankie as a girl and a guy. Uh, but yeah, they're sir. like because uh, they're typically they're typically are like this is going completely off topic. There's typically like gender. Uh, swapped versions of names. Like, I wonder, does does Travis have like a feminized version? I can. By any chance? I cannot think of one. Um, because I had a buddy back in the day, uh, Chris, and I used to fuck with him. I'd be like, "What up, Christina?" And he could not think of 
you know, a, a lady version of my name, and so he started calling me Travioli. <laughs> yeah, so... But yeah, I don't, I don't yeah exactly. Like, I cannot think of a, uh, of a feminine version of Travis. Um, but, yeah, so what I think is funny is any time else, like, a character like Randall, uh, once they figure out this is a dude and there's not going to be a chick, they're going to stop the show. But, nah, he sits back down, and they're like, fuck it. I, we're, we've paid for it. We're going we're gonna to see this through. And uh, It reaches that level of morbid curiosity, and I love that classic shot. It's something you see in a lot of comedies where, like, something really crazy is going on, and then all of them in a row just tilt their heads, and they're just trying to process what they're looking at. Yeah, the head um, tilt. And what I really like is... Uh, fucking uh, Becky shows up and it's another bit where she's mad for a second like what the hell's going on here because he when Dante shows up he thinks the place is on fire because of all the uh, the fog rolling out of it with the fog machine so he calls the fire department and forgets about it basically and he gets enamored with the uh, the, the donkey show but when she shows up you know, she's like, what the fuck is going on? Wait a minute, is that a donkey? You know, is this a donkey show? And she's all for it, which I think is cool. And they, there is no, I'm pissed off at you because you told Randall I'm pregnant. You know, there's, there's none of that. Like, they, they got over it quick. And um, she's like, I got to see this shit, you know. And so they're watching more of the donkey show. And uh, then him and her... Uh, basically discuss, you know, yeah, let's go ahead and let's do this, let's, uh, let's have a relationship, and they start making out, and then, boom, this is when Emma shows up with the damn cake, and, uh... And I feel so bad for her in this moment, like, Jen Schwabach's acting in this moment is really good, um, but it's another one of my favorite line reads is, so she starts off crying, but then he tries to come up and apologize and explain... I love when she just grabs him by the, uh, by the, she goes, you fuck, and jams him right in the fucking balls. Yeah, which is and like, yeah, which is great because, like, you feel bad for her at first because, yeah, you know, she's done nothing mean to him. She wasn't bad, bad to him, and she walks in on him making out with this other girl, and, uh, so everything that she does from here on out is justified. Uh, she calls, uh, Becky a whore, throws the ring at her. Um, hits him in the nuts, gets him with the cake, uh, and basically, you know, just breaks up with him and leaves. I love how Jay, Jay feeds into the chaos, because he's the one who tells her to hit him with like, the cake. Yeah. And then, um, what's it called? He's the one who kind of blows the cover. Because he goes up to say congratulations to Oh, yeah. Emma. Yeah, he comes up to her and says congratulations on the baby. And it's like, what baby? He's like, I heard Dante talking about you being pregnant. It's like, oh shit. So not only did he still, like open up the can of worms, but now that he's there, he's like, quick, hit this fucking cheater. Yeah. <laughs> that shit is fucking funny. Uh, and then, if things can't get any worse, the motherfucking police and fire department arrives because Dante forgot that he called the uh, the fire in, and now they're and in a holding a cameo, cell. Um, this is a cameo I always enjoyed. Uh, the the main fire uh, fighter is played by Kevin Michael Richardson, who's just like super prolific voice actor. Um, 
he does the announcer voice for Clerks the Animated Series whenever the episode started, but like if you look up at IMDb, he's like in countless stuff. Um, you know, he's Principal Lewis in American Dad. Um, he played one of my favorite Jokers. I don't know if you ever watched the series just called The Batman that came out in like the 2000s. No. It was 2D animated, but he did a really good fucking Joker. So I, I like that um, Kevin gave him a live action role. Um, but yeah, so, and I do, and the thing I forgot to mention is during the whole pea monkey shit, Randall's like, oh, I'm going to take it back, I'm going to take it back, and he, he had taped, with masking tape, pea monkey for life on the back of his shirt, and wears it for the rest of the movie, uh, and the, the black cop sees it, <laughs> and gets pissed off about it, uh, but yeah, so they're in the holding cell now, and this is, uh, this is a, a, a nice moment where, you know, Dante's pissed and, you know, just talking about how Randall's ruined his life and all this. And But Randall gets his moment where, uh, you know, he's saying, you know, I'm, you're the only friend that I have and you're leaving and you have this really good lady right here. The other lady's not right for you. And uh, so you get a nice uh, character development with Randall and, and him busting out his feelings. And I do like when uh, <coughs> he tells Jay and Silent Bob to uh, cover their ears because uh, because of Randall's uh, masculinity. He doesn't want any other dudes hearing him talk all emotional and shit. <laughs> and then... Um, and this is where... You know, most times in a Kevin Smith movie, it would be Silent Bob who brings people together. And this is one of the best, um, I guess, parodies or like inversions of expectation. Yeah. Kevin Smith kind of pokes fun at his own structure that uh, he's like, oh, come on, you know, you usually have something to say here. And he tries, but... He just says, uh, I got nothing. Silent Bob's big line is, I got nothing. Yeah, and then, and then you have a nice moment between him and Jay because Jay starts talking shit. And he's like, hey, man, look, that hurts. <laughs> and I love how, I love whenever Silent Bob gets to take a couple of jabs towards Jay's way. He's like, you know, what what kinds of things do you add to any conversation? A pussy, man, that's it. You know? Yeah. So it's always nice to see uh, Silent Bob put Jay back in his place. Yeah. Um, when they cut to a life. And very fishy that have... It's very fitting that you have these two groups of characters in the same cell together because you kind of see the difference between their two dynamics and stuff like that and how, you know, maybe Dante and Randall need to be a little bit more of like a Jay and Final Bob, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, when it comes to Elias passed out, uh, I like that the, the ass of his pants or his underwear says, what would Jesus do? <laughs> I actually never noticed that. That's good. Uh, yeah, you got uh, what is it? WWJD <laughs> on the ass of his uh, boxers. <laughs> um, but this is another bit that I really uh, like too. Kelly's in um, Kelly's in the cell across from them, and uh, I always have a chuckle out of his last line because he so genuinely says like, "I miss my donkey" or something like that. Yeah, because he says, you know, they're like, you know, now I'm going to be a felon. He's like, look, no, nah, you, you. You can't go to prison for watching a donkey show. Um, you'll walk. The worst I'll get is a fine and some really bad looks. And, and then he goes, hey. <laughs> but, uh, but a thing I really like here is throughout this movie, uh, especially the first time I, was wa I watched it, um, 
you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, so what happened to all the money Jay and Silent Bob made uh, for the Blunt Man and Chronic movie? You know, they never cut to that. I'm thinking, did they blow all the money? But Jay and Silent Bob are kind of too stupid to blow all of their money. And you know they spent a good chunk of it going around the U.S. so they can beat up all them kids that were talking shit about them. But, uh, yeah. so I do like that when Randall brings up buying the quick stop and reopening it, uh, and, and Dante says, that's going to be like $50,000 at least, and uh, where, where are we going to get that kind of money? And Jay says, well, we got that money. So, Jay and Silent Bob still have money left over from all the, from that movie, and uh, I like that... Not to mention also still, um, still selling pot, even though yeah. technically they weren't smoking it, like they still... Even better, you know what I mean? It's like they don't even need to pick up anything, you know what I mean? They're saving that money on the side. Yeah, so it's real cool that Jay and Silent Bob got all that money, and then they just didn't change. They, they're they hanging out outside of a fucking fast food restaurant like some damn degenerates, but they're clearly uh, fairly rich um, with money just sitting there. And they there. follow just wherever Dante and Randall go because they know they're the only ones who won't, like... Fucking call the police on them. Yeah. That one time, James, I don't Yeah. And so he says, you know, we'll help you guys open it back under two conditions. We can hang out at the store. You can't call the cops on us. And then I want you two to blow each other while we watch. And then you go ask the mouth. And uh, they're like, no. Nah. Yeah. So I like that, that, that Jay, uh, you know, Jay and Bob decide, shit, you know, we'll help them open it back up. And I really like that. So they, they all get together, you, you get a montage, they're, they're fixing the place up, they even reopen the video store, and um, then you get the sign, another reference to the first one, the big sign that says, I assure you, we are reopened. And... Uh, yeah, and that was always a cute, I think that's the closest it gets to, like, fan service, fan service, you know what I mean, because there's no reason for them really to do that, and in in universe, like, Clerks 1 was just one day out of the many, but for us, for the audience, you know what I mean, it's like, I can't really talk trash about that, you know what I mean, like, the, the feels... The feels in that moment are too strong, and you see that Becky's got the baby bump already, like their family is well on its way. Um, they have that, it's kind of stereotypical, but I can't help but like crack a smirk. Is they, they have that moment where Dante and Randall are painting together, and he fucking puts the bit of the paint on Dante, and he's like, ah, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so... It's just showing their friendship. It's so hurtful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you can acknowledge it as a cliche, but it's like, you still enjoy it. It, it feels good for this kind of ending. You know yeah. What I mean? And Jay and Bob get their little and spot back. Um, and because these character arcs are completed by this point, because Clerks 1 really is just a day in the life. There really is no lessons learned. And that's kind of a comedy of it. It's like, this shit is just more incidental comedy and it's just stuff that's kind of happening to them, they do reach, like, a point in, like, a lesson about, like, you know, place in life and stuff like that. It's not like there completely isn't a character arc, but I feel like here it's more of a completed journey. And like I said earlier, especially for Randall. Mm -hmm. This was definitely more of a Randall story. It's a Randall redemption arc, really. Yeah. 
And so I like that they reopened the video store as well, and then Elias puts in an application, and, you know, Randall's being a dick, like, nah, nah, we're not going to hire him, we're not going to hire him, but you know they're going to hire him. So, um, basically the movie ends from here, and so I want to throw out, like, some more uh, Clerks 3 predictions, like, like I did with you know, how Star Wars and Lord of the Rings has changed in the past 15 years. Another thing I would like to see change is, you know, we don't have video stores anymore. So what I would like to see is their video store is still open. But, and it would kind of be hard to do this, especially now, uh, but I, I would like to see them do it in the movie anyway, but they probably missed the window within about five, six years is, I would like, right in the front of the video store, I would like to see a red box kind of DVD rental machine just right there in front of the movie store, and I would like to see customers waiting in line at the red box and not going into the video store. And what I would like to see is, I would like, I could believe Randall would be standing there at the red box because whoever put that DVD rental machine there is basically taking his money that he could be making. And I would like to see Randall standing there, and when somebody's picking out their movie, I'd like to see him spoil the ending for them uh, just to be a dick, <laughs> you know? Like, I would really like to see that happen. I don't know if they'll do it, and in a way, like I said, red boxes aren't as prominent as they were about five years ago, so maybe they missed their window, but I would like to see that in there anyway. I actually want to add on to that, because I think it would be funny if a red box was there. Um, that could actually work for more of like a flashback, because Clerks 3 is probably going to give us some backstory into the couple of years between Clerks 2 and Clerks 3. Yeah. So you could almost kind of see it as like a quick little montage, like you see the front of the store, and it could be like 2010 is when people are lined up at the red box, but I still see plenty of 7-Eleven and convenience stores now, like with just the old, like, I, they still work, but nobody uses them, you know what I mean? So, like, the red box would still definitely be there, just unused, unloved. Um, and then in Reboot, wasn't, like, the, the video rental store turned into, like, uh, like a, a chicken restaurant or, like, something? Like, James Bell and Bob were going to do something with it. Yeah, yeah, I can't fucking remember. Um, but that's like it looks like a chicken restaurant on the outside, but they're really like selling weed from it or something like that. Yeah, I gotta rewatch that um, before we do the podcast for that one. But yeah, I, I actually don't remember that. Um, but but yeah, I think the yeah, movie. Remember by, re by reboot the, the video store at least isn't there anymore, which will be interesting to see. Like, is Elias now working at whatever James Silent Bob is doing? Is that still around, or uh, is he working the Quick Stop? Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how time has passed. Maybe he's not even working in that area of town at all. Maybe he just comes and visits them because they're his friends. Like, it's going to be very intriguing to see, um, you know, what different plot lines we could be going. Because Clerks 3 has been written and rewritten several times already. I remember there was one draft that Kevin Smith mentioned that James and Bob were going to be in space and technically not show up in the movie. I think that's going to be the excuse of them not showing up as they were in a space shuttle and then like somewhere near the end we would see them like floating in space. 
Uh, that I, would be uh, a little ridiculous. That would be so fucking weird. But, uh, uh, I, you know, um, what is it? Because the plot is supposed to be like Randall has the heart attack and wants to make a movie. Um, so I could see it kind of being like one of those things where, like, the like like the the last episode of Dawson's Creek where basically Randall is going to be Kevin Smith and he makes a Clerks movie and you know what I mean and maybe they hire actors to play them uh, and they're like redoing certain scenes from the first movie. Um, it kind of makes me scared, right? Because it's kind of what I crave this movie for, that it doesn't do what the typical sequel does, where it's like, we're going to do the same thing over again, and we're aware of it. Where this movie um, is going to be more meta about it, and through this film, it's exactly like you said, I guarantee you we're going to see like the 37 scene recreated with the, maybe Elias will play Dante, you know what I mean? They'll do some gag like that, you know what I mean? Where they're all kind of playing each other. Yeah. That would actually be kind of fun. You cut to like Dante playing Silent Bob or something like that. I wouldn't it wouldn't even would well, you know it would be great if let's say Randall's making this clerk's movie and they straight up get Jason Biggs and uh fucking um James Vanderbeek to be James Silent Bob. Like wouldn't <laughs> that fucking be an amazing reference? You'll never believe this, but we cannot fucking we cut James Vanderbeek and Jason Big like James Bond um, had that connection still. You know who we can call. <laughs> that would be fucking great. Uh, but yeah, this I'm movie man, um, Clerks Two was I think is a fantastic sequel um, to the original, and I think that uh, it closes out certain chapters. And like I said, when it was. Because originally, Strikes Back was going to be the final one. And then originally, this was going to be the final one. And I was like, with this being the final one, it's, it's a perfect ending. It closes the, the, the characters' chapters. But really, the way, from what we've seen is, you can close a chapter on, on this series and then add another chapter later on that's as good. Um... You could really just open this book up in different periods of these characters' lives and uh, just to see where they're at, you know. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, bringing up the, uh, the band or artist discography uh, comparison again where um, it's at the point now where, let's say, this band has been around so long they don't drop an album as frequently as they used to and you know it's been 10 years since an album came out and you're just happy that uh, they're back together and uh, giving you something yeah I was going to say I'm happy to see that my opinion on the movie um, hasn't really changed drastically because I was very afraid that I was going to find a lot of things that nitpick it or bring it down um, and then I'd be like hey you know I still like I like I clerks one more, but it's like I said before that uh, I think clerks one and two now perfectly stand side by side companion pieces for me. You know what I mean? Is that I think I have a mutual amount of love and respect for both productions. Clerks two may not be as much as the achievement that clerks one was, but um, 
Aside from like again, some of the small nitpicks we can get into, like the oh maybe this scene should be shorter or this like the overall story and plot and acting and characters and sense of like everything is is good. You know what I mean? I don't really have many complaints with it. Um, so I guess it just kind of comes down to like again going back to that uh, music comparison. It comes down to like what kind of Kevin Smith thing you are. Like what you like to see what kind of things you appreciate from his style, and if you feel like maybe this is something that should have been left on the shelf and that corpus is in the past, no, that's perfectly valid, but for me, I think because he's able to wrap up those character story arcs and give us something a little bit more emotional than most typical reunion sequels will do, or it would feel very forced. That's the thing. If they are going to go for more emotional stuff, half the time the more Hollywood production, the emotion feels very schmaltzy and forced. Whereas here, I do mention that you know the ending montage is very heartwarming, and I would say schmaltzy, but there's that auteur like quality, that genuineness that Kevin Smith never really lost. Yeah. You know, if anything, I feel like it's more of the complaint I can bring into like reboot rather than this is that there's still very much that that independent filmmaker energy that he puts into it. Um, and it's something I have admired of all of his films from the get-go. You know what I mean? So as long as that quality of his universe isn't entirely lost, I'll keep coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even with Reboot, when we get into it next, like I still don't think that quality is entirely lost. I don't think Kevin is that kind of guy who will completely lose his that little spark of his that makes the movie it's he does do a lot of things, and he has become part of the mainstream Hollywood world in a way, but um, it's less like he sold out and more so that people bought him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think he just loves the shit out of this universe and this these characters. He just, You just see that he really cares about it, um, and he knows that the fans really care about it, so... I don't think I don't think he'll fuck it up. Either way, yeah, I'll, I'll probably enjoy it. Like I said, like aside from like yoga hosers, like I've never really dis fully disliked anything to me. You know what I mean? And even like yoga hosers, there's still like behind the scenes stuff that I still get enjoyment out. Like you know what I mean? I'm glad that Kevin was so happy during the making of that movie. You know what I mean? So. I feel like there's never going to be a time in my life where, even if I don't enjoy the movie um, the way I would say one of his older ones, I never think I'm ever going to have a sour uh, taste in my mouth with Kevin Smith stuff. You know what I mean? You always know that you're going to be getting something special if he's, I should say, if he's writing and directing Because I know he produces other things, and like he did that, he and Netflix Jones, stuff like that. And I know there's other things he attaches his name to. But I'm specifically talking about like beat universe, the stuff that he personally like likes and directs and funds. Um, and Tusk and Yoga Hosers fall under that umbrella now, so. Yeah. That's about the one exception I would say that I like, didn't like that movie, but it doesn't mean like it does it doesn't change my overall opinion and his like talent, you know what I mean? So yeah. I still think I feel like this is how all our Kevin Smith uh, podcast has ended recently with me defending us, but um, 
I like talking about Tusk. I think that was one of his more well-shot movies in terms of cinematography, you know what I mean? Where, what I like about Clerks too is that we go back to that stationary paint-and-shoot style. What I like about Tusk is that it's not Clerks, so could, you know, go on the dolly a little bit, do some more different camera motions. It's not anything super extreme, but you can tell he kind of brought that Tarantino energy into some of the shots where we're going to do a couple of quick zooms, we're going to do a pan around here, you know what I mean? Yeah, there we're were... were the water, we're going to go... Lots of cool yeah. shots, lots of weird angles. I love Tusk. Tusk is fucking great. Yeah, so uh, definitely check out Tusk if you haven't seen it. And in the, in the basement uh, Facebook page, let me know what you think because it's... In terms of Kevin Smith's entire... Uh, filmography, it's one of the ones where I get the most varying opinions on it, so that tends to be the most fun discussion for me. You know what I mean? Um, and it also helps if you've been there from the dawn of its um, inception. You know what I mean? That was the fun of it for me, was seeing it go from podcast to production to final product. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But Clerks 2, Clerks 2 on the whole, um, if we're doing ratings, you know, I think I would give it a solid 7-8, you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's a competent sequel, um, and there's a lot of stuff that could have gone wrong that, you know what I mean, the fact that it is as solid as it is, you know, again, really does deserve some credit. Um, as years go on, I feel like a lot of people, I, I, I know that I'm harping on this, but I do feel like a lot of people tend to grow out of their Kevin Smith phase especially film students, and a lot of people try to act like too cool for these movies or something like that. Yeah. If you genuinely just don't get that, but it's like, um, I've noticed that people could get very nitpicky with stuff that, at least to me, like, it's really not that wrong to it, you know what I mean? That we can kind of ease up a little bit. Um, you know, Clerks 2 and Tusk, and even like Red State, tend to fall under that umbrella for me, at least, where it's like, these are movies that I definitely get the criticisms, but I don't really need to be as like hard on it as we, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's not like, um, not like an Oscar winning film, or it's not like a big tentpole blockbuster film that's like, we don't need to get this up in arms over it, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and that's just kind of, you know, always have to deal with critics and people, um, that's what comes with popularity and having an auteur style, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, People try to chip away at you and try to take away from that, um, you know, that fun of it. You know, it, it kind of feels like Hollywood has been out to get Kevin Smith, like, from Mallrat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, to me, this is a pretty perfect sequel. It, it does everything that a great sequel should, where, um, to me, I'd rather, I'd rather have a sequel that expands on the universe and it doesn't fall in that sequelitis. You can tell this is a sequel made by a, the person who made the original. Uh, it is... It keeps continuity. Uh, it's like uh, it's like another thing. You know, um, I'm a big fucking Child's Play fan. I'm a big fan of the Chucky series uh, of movies and I finally saw the, the Chucky series uh, and just the fact that 
Don Mancini is still keeping continuity with his original fucking vision, you know, I'm fucking, I'm cool with it. I'm down with it. Like, those to me are some pretty perfect fucking slasher movies and, and series. And, uh, so with, with Clerks 2, yeah. keeping the fucking continuity there, keeping, keeping the heart, keeping the love, keeping the characters and everything. Like, even down to Jay and Silent Bob still having their money, you know, I, it's, it just works. Everything about this movie for me, uh, is, is the perfect sequel. Uh, especially so many years after the, uh, the first one. And other movies have tried to do this recently with The Dumb and Dumber 2, which I like Dumb and Dumber 2 a lot, but it doesn't do for me like this one did. Um... Dumb and Dumber 2 is fun, but... And, and it's something that we talked about before, where it's like, it would either not live up to the comedy of the first one, or try to go way too dramatic with it. Because with these reunion movies, because there's that nostalgia now of seeing these characters again, you know, a lot of them try to play up the weight of, you know, oh, we're seeing our favorite characters get, you know what I mean? There's been rumors of a fucking Friends movie, and jokes about it, you know, it's never going to happen, but... Rumors of a fucking Friends movie for so many years now, and it's exactly what it would be. It would suffer from those problems where it's like the whole excitement of it is just seeing them again, and then we really don't know what to do with them from there, so we're just going to make them do what they keep doing, even though it would be unrealistic to. It would be unrealistic. You know, I mean, I like that there's the setting change in Clerks too. That's like you're able to have them still do a job that requires them to be behind the counter where they don't where they don't have to like work much and they can talk. But you know what I mean? It just made sense that they had to get out of quick stuff. With Clerks three, now we have this granted scenario where they own it. So now the tables have turned a little bit, things could be different. But I like for the sequel that they took us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Um, they didn't rely on the fan service. They put it in there, but they didn't whack you over the head with it. And again, um, like the comment section said, that it's a lot more subtle with its callbacks than a typical sequel would be. You know, there's a lot to respect. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was really happy that we were able to go back to it because. Um, with this transitional period in my life right now, you know what I mean? It actually feels quite fitting, you know, to get an ending like this, you know what I mean? So, I think I, I'm sticking with my 7, 8 out of 10 rating. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, and I, like I mentioned before, I am unbelievably excited to get into Reboot because it's still very new in my mind. And it still needs a couple more rewatches, but it's like I definitely, uh, I definitely know what I'm feeling, and I know the the different moments that I want to tap into um, and go over my conflicting thoughts with, because I don't think it's like I don't think it's an all the way good movie, but I don't think it's an all all the way bad movie either. You know, I mean, it kind of falls in that middle spot. So this rewatch is definitely gonna help me. Um, Finally, close the book on that. Like I still don't have like a fully formed opinion on uh, James Bond reboot, so it's going to be a really fun one to tackle. If you know, I don't want to. I don't want to predict anything, but it might end up being a really long one. Yeah, it might be. Uh, we'll have to do that one on a, on a 
on an earlier day. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's because hot today, though, man. Like uh, last time we did the the Jay and Silent Bob uh, Strike Back episode, we were doing this like dead into the night. Um, and it, it came out really well, but you could tell we were getting kind of schlumpy by the end. We were getting kind of tired. Um, this was perfect. We got we got in right at the perfect time. And aside from the um, the Zoom problems, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was so excited to talk to my clerks, too. I definitely would say, I don't know if it's my favorite favorite of each universe. I think that still goes to Mallrats. But it's definitely in the top five. Yeah, it's still, it's so hard for me to, to really think of a favorite out of these movies, because uh, they're all so different, uh, but, but hell, I guess we should end it here, y'all, fucking, um, what do you guys think about Clerks 2? And we'll be back with Jane Silent Bob Reboot. Hell yeah, and please, you know, like we said before, hit up that Facebook page, uh, Post whatever you like, you know, let us know um, your reviews of the East Universe. Are you watching them side-by-side side with us, or did you marathon them all at once? You know, please, you know, the discussion never stops. We may, like, hit the off button on here, but, like, it continues on there. And I'm always, like, looking through there. Um, if not there, I'm on my Danny Elfman meme page. Um, so, you know, you guys always know where to find me, and, um, like I said, film Fridays, I do want to make more of a regular thing once the mood is completely finalized because not only is there a ton of movies that I love talking about, but there's a ton of new ones that have been coming out that I've been catching that um, would be really fun to go over with you guys. So head on over there if you haven't already, and um, we'll be sure to respond to whatever you give us. You know, Even if it's just a meme, even if it's just a picture, you know what I mean? It's like, it's greatly appreciated. Hell yeah. So we'll see you guys on the next Fresh from the Basement. But on that note, you know, thank you guys for joining us today, man. And uh, we'll be sure, you know, hopefully we'll record the next one very, very soon. And we'll have that one up for you guys. And um, that's going to be the conclusion of this universe retrospective, isn't it? Yeah, we started this shit two years ago. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah, it's about time, guys. Like, you guys are troopers if... Uh, You've been desperately waiting. I hope you have, because uh, it was quite the wait to get that um, whole ass pandemic to get through. Yeah, hell yeah. And, um, but hell, fucking, I hope y'all enjoyed it. And we'll be back with uh, Reboot. And then when Clerks 3 comes out, we'll be back with that motherfucker. And then, uh, hopefully, after, um, What's it called? We get wrapped up with Reboot and then eventually Clerks 3. Um, we've been talking about, we mentioned we want to talk Rob Zombie, but um, there's also a lot of makeup uh, franchise work we have to do. There's been a new Ghostbusters yeah. and the new, uh, quote unquote, new Bill and Ted. The Bill and Ted's been out for a while now, but we haven't shared our thoughts on it. Yeah, so that would definitely be fun. Uh, we should this do is, an episode, maybe a double feature. This is what we should do. After, after Reboot, we do the Ghostbusters episode, uh, and then we do the Bill and Ted episode to kind of close those those out, 
And then we should jump into Rob Zombie after that. Amen. That works with me, man. Hell yeah. I'm excited to talk about uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife as well. If that's how it's going to work out, like, we're going to have two huge podcasts in the work for you guys. Yeah, because isn't it weird? But, isn't it weird? Because, like, the way I look at it with this podcast, like, Ghostbusters is kind of like where we, I feel like we really figured it out. Because, uh, you know, before we were, it was a lot of countdown kind of episodes. And Ghostbusters, I believe, might have been the first film review. And we had so much. It was the first, yeah, like one that wasn't a list, yeah. Yeah, and we had so much fun just digging so deep into the the psyche of these characters, uh, and then then we did it with Bill and Ted, and uh, so it's kind of weird to me that uh, I thought Ghostbusters was over after Girlbusters, and. Um, Crazily enough, around the same time, we get a new Bill and Ted and a new Ghostbusters. Uh, and it's like, damn, man, I actually can't wait to uh, talk about those. I, I still haven't seen that Ghostbusters yet, either. I was going to say, I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theaters, so um, I definitely need to rewatch it again. That's another one where I'm going to be watching it like a hawk, taking notes, because um, if you remember from our first Ghostbusters episode, um, if you were around when it was uploaded. I know it's not on YouTube, I don't think, but... We gotta get uh, it off of the... We gotta get it off of you iTunes. Know, I, I have a Ghostbusters fanatic to the T, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I feel like I could quote those movies like the back of my hand, so... And those that new movie is totally built on referencing the first movie specifically, so... Um, we're gonna have a lot of fun uh, theorizing where the characters go from Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we'll have to... Uh, we'll have to download that that episode off of the iTunes so I can put it on the YouTube with the uh, other one. Because I know one of the... I, I think one or all the Ghostbusters episodes are on YouTube, or maybe it's the Bill and Ted that wasn't on YouTube, I can't remember, but I gotta, gotta get those off of that iTunes account. Yeah. yeah, we definitely gotta re-upload some. We could definitely, um, we could start a playlist, so once they are uploaded, you know, we could have them in order yeah. in case they, you know, people want to go back. A lot of our early episodes were definitely just like, if not top tens, we were doing top something. I remember at one point we decided to do a top seven just to fuck around, you know what I mean? Yeah, and a lot of a lot of what I remember about my list, I'm like not happy with. I'm like, man, you know, why why did I choose this or why did I choose that? Right? No, like I think about now, I was like, what was I thinking? Like, uh, the famous one being we did the top ten horror movie scores, and oh my god, my fucking choice was nothing. It was literal silence. Yeah, but your your choice made my so much sense though. Your choice made so much sense while mine was like a cheap cop out, like, oh I'm gonna choose a musical. No, but you know, that's an actual soundtrack. I came in like this was me like I think like second year of film school. I'm like, hmm, I might as well have had my beret and my glass of wine ready, like I think silence is the best tool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, but, uh, like an asshole would say that was a pretentious pick, but at the same time, I totally get it. Like, it's validated. Yeah, 
It was fun to talk about, but what's funny that you bring that up is like I don't think that Sweeney Todd was a cop out at all because you know since doing that episode and then rewatching the movie and you know watching it over and over, you know I mean it's like I love the shit out of that soundtrack, man. It's like I definitely see where you were coming from. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But shit, y'all, um, it is getting late, and I've got to work in the morning. And I hope you enjoyed us talking shit about uh, Clerks 2 and all the other random shit we talked about. And we'll see you guys uh, next with uh, Jan Silent Bob Reboot. Hell yeah. Catch you guys later, folks. Catch you on the Dune side.